Can you? So, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Can you guys hear the ice cream truck? <laughs> Wait, are you buying? You getting us some ice cream? It's just. <laughs> I want some ice cream. Can you hear it? It just. I could. Sorry, I could hear it in my headphones. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 37 of the RF Generation Playcast. I'm Ghost 81 and what you're about to hear is our discussion of our April 2017 selection. This month we took a look at a quote-unquote indie game created by a AAA company. In this month's show, Rich and I will be joined by special guest Buried on Mars from the Retro Fandango podcast to discuss the Ubisoft role-playing game Child of Light, which is available on 7th and 8th generation consoles and handhelds, as well as the PC. Please remember to subscribe to us on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. You can listen to this show on iTunes and Podbean. As always, don't forget to log on to rfgeneration.com to join our playthroughs and discuss the awesome games we play together. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. I'm rolling. I'm rolling. Now I'm the I'm rolling one. too. And then we'll go three, two, one, and then everybody clap. Ready? Okay. All right. Three, two, one. That All was, right. That was a manly clap. <laughs> <laughs> I heard an echo. Uh, all right. Oh, I'm going to try not to hit my microphone. I don't hit the microphone, but I typically hit the desk where the microphone is located. So that's my issue. Rich, you usually hit the bottle, though. Is that going on tonight? Or <laughs> There's no clinky clinking tonight. No, there's no ice cubes. <laughs> that's straight water, man. Straight water. Yeah, I got some green tea. It's family show. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that voice you hear is uh, Kevin... Tell us more about your internet personality buried on Mars and uh, what brings you to the show today. Well, um, Buried on Mars is just sweeping the nation. 
people are catching. No, I, I've been, uh, you know, I'm a, just one of those guys on YouTube that uh, reviews video games. I've been doing it since 2012. So I'm coming up on, was it five years now? Let's see. Yeah, yeah five years. Jeez. And, uh, yeah, I'm just one of those guys that hangs around. I do a, um, a uh, podcast with my uh, buddy Richard who uh, lives in Japan. Uh, he's known online as uh, Rambox. And we do a little show called Retro Fandango. We try to come out with an episode twice a month, I guess. And, um, you know, yeah, we just uh, talk about movies and uh, just stuff that we're doing and all that fun stuff. And But, you know, we're so delightful in that that people, people are so nice to tune in and, and listen to us because, you know, they like to hear us talk about those things. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great show. I really love listening to you guys. Uh, my favorite episode, and if, if you haven't listened to Retro Fandango, the one I would suggest checking out if you had a similar childhood to mine would be the uh, Rambo episode, where you guys go through all the Rambo movies. That, that's that been one of my favorites. Yeah, that, that was a, a really fun episode. Yeah, we call, we call those the Schwarzenegger episodes. Yeah. Um, even though Arnold Schwarzenegger isn't in the movies, um, the idea is we, we split up our episodes between DeVito's and Schwarzenegger's, and it's kind of a play on the movie Twins, where Schwarzenegger was like, you know, the perfect specimen of a human being. So we put a lot of work into those shows, and we feel like those those episodes that we focus on a main topic like Rambo, we feel that's a, a Schwarzenegger episode. And then the, the ones where we're just sitting and talking and, you know, just talking about, you know, what we found and stuff like that, we call those the DeVitos. And because... In the movie, Danny DeVito refers to himself as the crap leftover, so we call that the crap leftover. <laughs> it's a fantastic movie. I almost picked it up yesterday, yeah. actually for four bucks. Yeah, nice. yeah. This uh, antique store we went to yesterday had it for four bucks, and I almost grabbed it. So yeah, it's fantastic. Have you ever seen that one, Sean? I don't remember. Maybe I saw it as a kid. I don't remember that. Yeah, it's one worth checking out for sure. Now, uh, Kevin, you also have your own YouTube channel, right? That's right. Yep. Buried on Mars. And uh, I've noticed that some of your later posts, you're doing Zelda-like games. Can you explain what that is and what you've done and maybe what you plan on doing in that? Yeah, sure. Um, I wanted to do something about Zelda uh, for a <laughs> while. And I was thinking about actually going back and playing all the Zelda games because I, I played them bef you know, before and I thought it'd be interesting to do a YouTube series on it. But as I was doing my research, you know, trying to figure out like an angle, like, you know, it's going to be hard to capture footage from the um, handheld games and stuff like that. So which games am I going to focus on? Do I want to stream? Do I want to do this? Well, as I was looking at all this stuff, I stumbled on all these games that were like Zelda. Like they took the Zelda formula and they did their own thing with it. Like their, you know, the Sega Master System had its own version of, mm -hmm. um, the, uh, of uh, the very first Zelda game. And it is called Govelius. And... You know, it was just, there was a game that I had never played before. And I'm like, well, why am I going to replay all these Zelda games? There's all these other games out there that I really should try to check out and see if I like these games too, because I, I like that Zelda format. And I got some good feedback on that idea. Uh, a lot of people hadn't heard of the games before in that. So I thought that this was a good way to kind of tie in those games together. Because there are games, mm -hmm. like uh, one of my favorite games on the Sega Genesis is Beyond Oasis. And I know a lot of people hate when you refer to that game as a Zelda-like game. And the way I look at it is if someone hasn't heard of Beyond Oasis, but they know Zelda, and if I tell them, hey, if you like Zelda, you might like this, and they go and try it and they like it, 
then, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing my job, you know. So it's just a way to tie in these games together. And I call it the Zelda-like series. And, um, yeah, I've, I've done three videos in it so far. I did uh, Beyond Oasis, its sequel on the Sega Saturn, Legend of Oasis, which unfortunately wasn't as great, <laughs> and uh, and Govelius. <laughs> I, I started off the series with Govelius. So, yeah, it's uh, and I got a bunch of other games lined up. There's a ton out there. They're, they're even still making them today. You can find, you know, it's not just retro games. There's new games in that that uh, take a, a lot of inspiration from Zelda. So it's, it's fun diving into them. I'm curious. I talked about a game that I played called uh, Crusader of Senti uh, mm-hmm. on last month's show. Is that perhaps on your radar? It is, yes. I actually show a little clip of it in the intro. Right. Um, it is on my radar. It is super expensive. Though. Yes, it is. <laughs> and I don't know what I'm going to do with that one. I If I'm just going to do the retro pie, I like to try to find a legit copy if I can, you know, um, but I mean, $500 is a lot to spend on one game. I, I don't know how yeah. much it is in the States, but it goes for between five and $600 here in Canada. Ever since our last podcast, I've been looking it up and loose. It's over 200 bucks, a little over 200, but yeah, complete. You're going to pay well, five, 600 bucks and in the U S for it. You know, as we keep mentioning it on the show, the value is just going to keep going up and up. Oh yeah. I'm you sure. Know, the, the play cast effect. I'm sure. Yeah. That's what we do. Well, and you know, there's another game, um, on the master system called, um, golden axe warrior. And they actually yes. took the golden axe franchise and, you know, just kind of the name brand thing, and they actually made a little Zelda clone for for it on the Master System, but it was a late release on the Master System. You know, those kind of games, they don't get, like, reprints or anything like that. So it's a rare game. And again, that's another one that's around $600. But fortunately, they did include it on the uh, Sonic Sega Genesis Master System collection, that big, long title, <laughs> uh, that uh, compilation disc that came out on the 360 and PS3. It's a, oh wow! Okay. Yeah, it's an unlockable game on in that collection. So I think that's how I'm going to get around that to eventually review that game. Unless somebody wants to donate these games, <laughs> I know you guys have a lot of collectors that listen to this show. So uh, <laughs> you can check me out at Buried on Mars. I'm at Buried underscore on underscore Mars. If you want to make a donation uh, to uh, <laughs> to my channel, but uh, <laughs> but no, I I think yeah, I'm just going to have to. Maybe emulate. I don't know. How do you guys feel about repo carts too? Like some people say, just get a repo cart from China. And uh, I have one repo cart, and it's a gimmick for the Famicom, and uh, it works pretty well. But uh, anytime I can replace it, I'm definitely going to do it. It's again just another one of those carts that's really pricey, and I didn't want to fork out the big money before I gave it a shot. But uh, it's a game that's totally worth owning, and once I find it, I'll swap it out. But uh, yeah, I mean, for my purposes, I'm not really a fan of it as far as my collection is concerned. But I don't care if anybody else does it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, Sean and I are still friends. Yeah, no, y'all know how I feel. <laughs> I I kind of think. If you want to play a game, you should kind of try and find it any way you can. And I mean, life is too short to be worrying about things that are behind this artificial pay barrier, you know, like a price barrier. I mean, I played Crusader of Senti through emulation and I had a hell of a time. So that that's part of my 
life and my memory now and i didn't have to drop 500 dollars to some uh, dealer it, it's that seems to be the consensus with most people now is the price of these games keep going up and up it seems like the uh stigma against emulation is getting lower and lower and people are becoming more accepting of it plus it's just it's it's way easier if you're on youtube it's way easier to capture the hdmi signal out of a retro pie than trying to do it legit you know you got sync issues it doesn't look as good etc 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 so i do see like you know if if you're telling people to go out and spend money on this expensive game and you want to at least have it you know and that you play because there might be a problem or something with the as you're reviewing the game something that it doesn't work well with the machines the saves does you know something weird or something like that and if you're just blowing through it using save states you're kind of cheating the viewer of that you know so I could kind of see it both ways, but damn, games are expensive. Yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, but I agree with you. I think basically people's negativity toward emulating games has definitely fallen off over the years just because, like you said, games are getting so high. I mean, who can blame anyone? You want that experience and you want to be able to play that game, but not everyone can fork out that kind of money for a game like that. And uh, I'm looking for a copy, but I'm definitely not willing to pay the kind of money that uh, they want for it so well a lot of the, a lot of the games too like I was just talking to someone a few weeks ago uh, they were talking about this rare game on the Wii it was like this 101 you know mini games for the Wii that had a, mm-hmm. a small print run or whatever and uh, he had a few couple of copies of it somehow and he mm-hmm. went on eBay and he posted it and then he bought it himself and then he posted it and then he and bought it himself at an inflated price again, oh. and then posted it. And he did that about three or four times. And eventually that changes the prices on price charting. And it just keeps yep. going up and up and up. And it's one mm. thing to spend this money, you know, like say you want to spend $500 on a game. And it's one thing to spend it and say, well, I'm, you know, I'm buying this legit copy, but it's, who's it going to? It's going to some, sorry, some scumbag out there that's just, you know, inflating the price for himself to make more money. I heard of that. I know someone did an experiment with one of the Game Boy games. I think it was Rampart. And I believe it's been like a year ago or close to a year ago. And he just went and bought all the copies of Rampart on eBay and just kept raising the price little by little and got a game that was, you know, just a dollar to two dollar game up to about fifteen dollars. And, you know, he didn't go any further than that because, you know, it was sort of just a social experiment. And uh, I think once he did that, he sold all the games cheaply again just to get rid of them but uh, and make the price drop a little bit more. But I think that price has still kind of lingered out there, you know, over the years just because people are just so used to paying that price for it. Wow. It's crazy. Interesting. So speaking of paying exorbitant amounts of money for <laughs> video games, uh, <laughs> what's everybody been picking up lately? I actually have a few this time, but uh, I'll let our guests go first. Kevin, uh, you got any good pickups lately? Well, it's actually a good thing I went out the other day because I haven't been buying that much uh, lately at all. Um, I actually was doing a, a reseller thing. Um, I found a few copies of um, uh, Madden on the um, 3DS, which for some reason that is a desirable game. People want that game. Hmm. Um, there, uh, my Walmart, my local Walmart had a couple of copies for $5. So I picked them up actually three, I bought three copies in total from there and I sold them all on eBay for $40. Uh, I just went to the, like the buy it now and saw what it was selling for or whatever. And I just, 
the first one I put up, I said, well, you know, it only cost me five bucks, so I'll sell this one for $35. And before I could, like, log off at eBay, it was sold. <laughs> so I think wow. they seemed to be resellers that were buying these things because they had, like, a, a really big number, you know, like that number that you get on eBay, um, mm-hmm. like yep. a ranking or whatever. They had, like, a, a, they had a number in the thousands or whatever. And I think as soon as you post it, they got a program or whatever that will just buy it now, you know, if if it's set at a certain price. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, within a day I sold uh, all those. And yeah, like I didn't want to do it, but you know what? It's like, man, everybody's doing it. So what the hell? Um, It's like, man, games are expensive. (laughs) They are. (laughs) But I, but I took that money and I turned it around and I bought, games for my Zelda-like series. Like, uh, I'm not going to say I'm going to review it because every time I say I'm going to review a game, I get in trouble. The The video, you know, is I, I, I'll hate the game and I won't want to play it. The video will be, like, corrupt or something will happen. So I'm just going to say I'm looking at uh, adding these games to the Zelda-like series, but I picked up Alundra on the PlayStation 1. Yep. Um, which is like, you know, a Zelda-like game. And mm-hmm. it's around it's around $100 here in Canada. What? Yeah, for that game. Oh, man. Yep. Well, I, I did go, I did splurge a little because it was, I, I looked at my Madden money as found money. And I got the one with the, it comes with a map. And um, that that's the, that's the part that's a little harder to find. And when I got the map, it looked like uh, somebody just like printed it off of a, you know, old... Um, not a dot matrix, but an inkjet printer from the nineties. Oh no! <laughs> like wow, but it wasn't. It was. It's legit. Like I, I checked it out, and that's what it is. But that's what they. I don't know. It, it didn't seem to be worth it to to get the map. But um, I didn't realize that game had jumped up like that. I think I paid twenty bucks for my copy like yeah. a year and a half ago. It's crazy. Well, probably some douchebag out there just like you know <laughs> had like five copies and just bought it himself and jacked up the price. You know. Yeah. Uh, crazy. Anything else? Yeah, I I went out the other day and I found I found a couple of like things that I I would you know like when you're not really looking for stuff and then you find it and it's like these are the things that kind of surprise you more than you know the stuff that you're actually looking for. Uh, I found like this monitor. Well, it's like a, it's a TV from 2004. It's a very early LCD television. It's a flat mm-hmm. screen. It's about 20 inches. It's a Panasonic. It's 480p. And um, it's still standard def. It's not a high def LCD monitor. So there's no like upscaling or anything like that. So you get no input lag or anything with this kind of monitor. Wow. I hooked up a PlayStation 1 to it. And it looks amazing. It looks great. You know, like there's no, you know, whether you like scan lines or not, there are no scan lines. And so you can see all the pixels and all that. And it's a really cool way to play. I think like those PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 era uh, consoles on like it's just it's it looks really cool i had i had the playstation 1 hooked up through s video and it looked good and then uh, playstation 2 hooked up through it has a component input as well and yeah it looks really sharp uh so i was i was happy to find that for 18 dollars. and uh then uh i was out at um at value village do you guys have value village down there I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's called Savers in different places. Yeah. So I think some savers, people have yeah. Savers. Yeah. But it's the same thing. I think it's the same company, actually. 
We call it value pillage. Yes, yeah. that's, that's what we, we call it too, because <laughs> they used to be really good. You used to go in there, you could yeah. find stuff like they, you know, all the games were, you know, two or three bucks. It didn't matter what it was, right? Um, through the years, they seemed to caught on to like people buying stuff at their store and reselling them. So now they're starting to charge eBay prices for um the, these items and it's a real problem here in Canada because shipping in, in Canada is really expensive it costs you ten dollars to send one game to somebody mm-hmm. and they they will take and they'll add to the price not only what someone would charge on eBay or even what they're selling it for on eBay but they'll also add on the shipping as well so you're wow. paying yeah you're, so you're paying like an additional ten dollars <laughs> for something at value village that it's like I'm right here you don't have to ship it like what eh, anyways um, yeah, I think I saw a post by um, Bill, uh, who Bill and Joe do a Start to Continue podcast, which I also listen to. And I think he had posted a picture on Twitter that had a Wii for $120 yeah. at a Value Village. It's ridiculous. Open. It's an open Wii, too. It's not in the box or oh, anything yeah. like that. Yeah. It's just sitting there with a controller, maybe maybe the hookups if you're lucky. Right, exactly. Um, so it's it's... Really nice when you can go into a Valley Village and, and catch them slipping. So they have a really weird setup where they have all their electronics in one spot. And then there's other look, like little wires and stuff up in baggies and that. So that's generally where I go first because their games are outrageous. There's no point in looking at those first. Go into that section first. So I start looking through there. And then they have this other weird electronics section that has like your alarm clocks and stuff. Uh, like your... Popcorn makers and coffee makers and that. They Can openers and things yeah, like that. Yeah, they don't yeah. put it with the other electronics. <laughs> and uh, I went through their electronic department. And it, oh, I should say, is we, we went at 9 o'clock in the morning on a Friday. As we're walking in, like there's like one guy like running into the place. <laughs> and I turned to my wife. I'm like, what? Like, I guarantee you he's going to look at the games. And we went in there. And you can already see the look of disappointment on that guy's face. Because <laughs> the reseller guys, there's like these, like they're like, there was like three big burly men and you could tell they're the resellers. They're going through all the electronic stuff already. You know, they're looking through everything and they're picking up stuff and that because they're taking it somewhere else to resell it. So I was like, I was already bummed out and I go in the electronics part and there's nothing in there. I'm like, ah, oh, man, this, this sucks. And, um, so I start, I go and I look at the books, you know, cause sometimes you can find, you know, game manuals and stuff like that. Sure. You know, and uh, my wife comes up to me. She says, hey, did you see the PlayStation 2? And I, I said, no. She's like, yeah, there's a PlayStation 2 for $10. I'm like, well, let me go take a look. $10, that's actually pretty good. Yeah. So I start walking by the electronics part. She's like, no, to the other electronics part. So I go where all like the clock radios are and everything. And underneath like a, like a knickknack, like it was like this weird big knickknack. It wasn't a PlayStation 2. It was a PlayStation 1. So okay. I pick it up and it is just dirt. Like there's all dirty on it. It's kind of roached. But I do my my duty and I open it up and I look inside. And inside is a burned copy of a game, a Japanese game. And where I live, I'm kind of north of a very Asian heavy area. There's a lot of people from Japan that live in that area. So you do find a lot of Japanese stuff. So I close it, I flip it over, and I look at it, and it it is an NTSC J PlayStation One. Wow, and nice! It was, and it was priced at ten bucks. I'm like, wow, this is great. I caught them slipping, like because it was just priced like a normal PlayStation <laughs> One. 
And Very cool. The, but there was the burned game in there too. And I'm like, I wonder if this system's modded. So I, I took it home and I tried the game that was burnt in there. And it worked beautifully. I hooked it up to that 480p monitor with S-Video. It was King of Fighters 97. I was like, oh, man, this is awesome. It looks great. I wonder if this would work, like, if this was, like, a specially burnt game or if I could just burn any old game. So I went upstairs and I burnt uh, Raiden DX and uh, brought it downstairs, put it in, worked beautifully. So, wow. so then I thought, would this work with an American game? So I've I've been looking for Symphony of the Night, Castlevania Symphony of the Night forever. It's an, that's another game that's like around a hundred bucks here, Jeez. and yeah, it's ridiculous. And so I burnt a copy of that, put it in, and it worked. So I got a modded Japanese PlayStation One that could play just about anything. It's region free. Very cool, man. That's, that's a great sick. score. That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations on that. that. That's probably my score for the next five years. So. <laughs> <laughs> the collecting gods have shined down upon you. It, ha- so, uh, it happens once yeah. in a while. But uh, yeah, th- that was my big my big get. I actually had a god shining down moment in the last few weeks. Oh, nice. So. <laughs> wow. Well, I guess I'll go next then. We'll see. I don't have anything that dramatic. So. <laughs> Rich, we'll save you for last. I actually did get a recent limited run games release called Ray Gigant, which is uh, a Japanese RPG that limited run just put out. For some reason, I'm not sure why, but it was priced higher than their usual Vita releases. But I had my eye out for a while for it, even though it's not regarded as like one of the best JRPGs ever. They haven't put out too much stuff like that lately. It's been a lot of arcadey PSN store type of indie games, which is kind of what they focus on. But yeah, uh, for the, for them to have something like this, it seems a little more robust as a game was kind of cool. So I grabbed that. And of course, I had pre-ordered Persona 5. So that was one of my most uh, anticipated pickups in, in recent years, I would say. And also to play that game, I bought a sound bar for my TV, which is something I never even knew existed till a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah, man. Essential. I have one. Yeah, I just bought the Amazon Basics one. It was 70 bucks and I couldn't be happier with it. I, I wish it was a tiny bit louder, but it just makes everything sound awesome. Yeah, most TVs push the sound out of the back, so it kind of bounces off the back of the wall if you have the TV set up near a wall. And so that's what you're hearing. But with the sound bar, that pushes it out straight through the front. And uh, it's incredible, man. I picked one up several years ago when we bought our house. And uh, we just, we really enjoy it, especially with movies and stuff. It's awesome to watch a movie with that. Uh, I did away with surround sound years ago and just uh, have that sound bar. It's great. Nice. Yeah, I like it a lot. Just make sure you think about me when uh, Limited Run releases Salt and Sanctuary. I know. I'll let you know. I'm going to buy... I I know you have no interest in that (laughs) game, but I know Duke and I both do, so I think it looks pretty cool. Yeah, I'm so glad I'm beyond... Like, if it was me, like, two or three years ago, I would go bankrupt buying every single game that Limited Run puts out just for the Mm -hmm. collector, you know, mystique of everything they do. But uh, mm-hmm. luckily, I'm a little more discriminating now. I really only buy the games that I want and want to play. But uh, I and the Vita games, uh, yeah, mostly <laughs> Vita. I mean, but I will keep you in the loop when they announce a date for that. 
So yeah, I think that's it for me for pickups. I did try to, I, you know, usually before a show, I try to <laughs> do the rounds of my thrift stores around here. I just went to a Goodwill yesterday and didn't find anything, but I try, I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's tough, man. They're drying up. It's crazy. And not finding a lot of stuff anymore. I'm just wondering if employees are snatching up a lot of the stuff before it goes out. And I know, especially with Goodwill, they're just putting everything online now and yeah. you know, trying to get the get the biggest bang for their buck, which is just sad, especially for collectors. It's just taking away so much of the fun, you know, and mm-hmm. it seems that flea markets are drying up. And every once in a while, you can get lucky at a yard sale unless they post it on like Craigslist or Kijiji and put video games on it. And then everybody's beating you there. So it's a different world, man, than what it used to be. Do you guys have Facebook? Oh yeah, yeah. Do you like? Does Facebook do that thing where it gets, shows you some, like a photo that you posted five years ago? Yeah, if somebody like puts a like on it or comments on it, and it pops back up on your feed. Well, like someone like me who posts all my pickups on Facebook and on Twitter, I get I get to see like what I picked up like five years ago. Oh yeah, oh yeah, the yeah, memories yeah. So thing. About yeah, that. I know what you're yeah, talking yeah. about. Yeah, like the memories, and it's like, oh, yeah, I picked up uh, three NES games and, like, 12 Atari games on this day five years ago. It's like, oh, man, you don't get that anymore. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah, those were the days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they certainly were. So, yeah, Rich, what about you, man? What's your big... I'm dying to hear this. I Wait, I'm trying to think if it's something I know already, but... Sh- you probably do. Yeah, I might I have. Seen I might it. have sent you a message about it. I think I, I know I posted it on Twitter. So uh, okay, I'm pretty sure Kevin's seen it too. Well, I had a few pickups. It doesn't seem like it's been that long since we recorded. So I was trying to think. I mean, I definitely had some pickups. When we get to the "What Are You Playing?" section of the uh, show, that's going to be even tougher. But um, I picked up some Game Boy games. Grabbed Arcade Classic two, three, and four. I'd already had the first game. And while I was out of town, I picked up Cosmo Tank as well. That was one that one of our members, Metal Fro, had done a review of and put it on the front page at RF Generation. It's an Atlas game. And it's this kind of cool, like, tank game. And it goes from, like, an overhead view tank sort of shooter to a dungeon crawler first-person shooter. So it's kind of a bizarre game that kind of goes back and forth with formatting. Kevin will like this. Uh, I picked up a copy of the last game I was looking for for my uh, original Xbox. I had set sort of, I think it was around, I think I said 67 or 68 games total I have for the original Xbox. And I just wanted to pick up games that I knew I would enjoy for that system. So I picked up a copy of Blackstone. Have you ever played that one, Kevin? I have it, but I Mm -hmm. haven't played it. I I know of it, (laughs) but uh, I haven't got to it yet. All right. Well, when you do your Gauntlet-like series, okay. you can play that game. Yeah, I've heard uh, So, yeah, like it's that. sort of a RPG version of Gauntlet for the Xbox. And uh, you're actually going for a complete Xbox collection, right? Oh, no. I don't go for complete anything. I'm, I'm a terrible collector. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm a ga- gamer first. And I like to buy games that I want to play. I thought about it, but it was like, am I going to spend, even for a buck each, even if I can find all the Maddens that came out on the original Xbox for a buck each, say there's 12 of them, that's $12 yeah. I could put towards a game I really want to play, you know? So, yeah, I, 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 I'm I, just going for, like, in that era, the Xbox was, like, my favorite go-to system besides the PC. So that's why I, I collect for Xbox in that era, mostly. Okay. 
Oh, yeah. I was under the impression that you were at one time. I don't know why that is. I know I sent you an Xbox game at one point, mm-hmm. uh, something you were looking for. I can't remember. I it think it's been the probably over a year. It was the Punisher. Oh, yeah. Punisher for Xbox. Okay. And I needed that game because cool. I want to play that game. And I will eventually, <laughs> like everything else. <laughs> I found something else for you, too, at one point, and I contacted you about it, but it was a good price, but, uh, you know, with shipping to Canada now, it just, it sucks. I mean, you have to basically find something for a buck or two bucks just to make it worthwhile, uh, even if it's a good game, so. Yep. Anyway, just trying to help out whenever I can. Thank you, Um, thank you. Yeah. I am looking for a Crusader of Senti as well. (laughs) (laughs) and if our listeners find that game they'll be sure to contact their buddy single banana first (laughs) about that not kidding (laughs) but uh yeah i'm hoping to maybe find something like that up at um retro world expo this year since uh i'm heading up to connecticut so but uh let's see i also picked up beyond the beyond for ps1 i've been picking up a lot of the rpgs for the ps1 i think it's a really good system to play rpgs on i'm not trying to get every rpg that came out on ps1 but watching a lot of videos and stuff and just seeing what's you know more highly recommended and uh just uh you know kind of making my collection based on that uh have either of you played that game no, I have it, but I have yet to play it. I've heard middling opinions about it, but it it's mm-hmm, always yeah. been kind of on my radar as something that I would like to play for sure. Yeah, one of the um, cheaper RPGs on the PlayStation. I mean, it's not yeah. dirt cheap, but when you say RPGs on the PlayStation, cheap means, you know, 20 to 30 bucks. So, yeah, definitely one I had been looking out for and uh, just came across it and picked it up. Another thing I picked up was uh, Zigzag Cat for Super Famicom. I have a collection of probably, I'm going to say about 30 Super Famicom games. I don't have many, but I try to pick up things that are specific to Japan and didn't come out here and that'd be fun to play. Uh, pick up a few RPGs uh, since I have the Retron 5 and a patch for that for translation. But some of the other games like Zigzag Cat is um, sort of like Breakout, but it's a a vertical scrolling game and so you have this sort of shield and you're like hitting this ball and destroying stuff as you go up so it's a little bit like pinball quest on the nes it's a little like that um, that you can kind of move up uh, vertically through boards but it's more like fire striker on the super nintendo if either of you ever played that game but uh it's a fairly cheap game to import It's around 20 bucks, and uh, so um, I think I got that from Play Japan, which is uh, probably one of my favorite eBay sellers, and they're always sending some cool Yu-Gi-Oh cards that I can give my son. I love Japanese sellers. They're the best. And uh, finally, my big pickup. I was out, I believe it was last week, not last Friday, but the Friday before, Thursday or Friday before, and I check out this pawn shop in this small town as I'm driving to and from work every once in a while. I'll probably hit it like once a month just to see if they have anything, just out of curiosity. In the past, nine out of ten times, they have nothing. Everything's just roached and nasty, and the discs are all scratched up on most stuff. Half the time, I'll find something that I'm really interested in, I'll open it up, and the disc won't even be there. But sometimes they keep a little case in the back, and I've actually pulled the Tumba games from there, Tumba 1 and 2. Nice. Yeah, yeah, they just had them in the back. I'm like, you got any old games? And sometimes 
when you go in a pawn shop, it's really good to just ask, hey, do you have anything else? Do you have anything else in the back? And say, oh, well, we were getting ready to put these on eBay, but we'll sell them to you at a better price because they don't want to go through all that hassle, you know, and, uh, you know, take a fee. So I ended up, now this was over a year ago, ended up getting Tomba 1 and Tomba 2 for probably the price of just one of the games, just Tomba 1. So that was a really good deal. But I was in there two Fridays ago, and again, just nothing. And I'm getting ready to walk out, and I never look to see what types of systems they have, because they're all just always beat up, and they never have anything that I don't have besides a PS4. And just happened to catch something out of the corner of my eye, and there was a Nomad on the shelf. Oh, nice. They had it priced at 50 bucks. Now, I've probably only seen maybe three Nomads since I've been collecting or in my lifetime, basically. And I got them to make sure it worked and checked it out and everything. They had a price tag of 50 bucks on it. The screen had some lines on it, mm. and it had the battery pack with it, uh, which, you know, comes off and is separate. But it did not have a cover on the battery pack, which is super annoying to me. I hate that. Mm. But I understand that's very common with this system. I offered him 30 bucks for it because in my head, and from what I remember about prices from Nomads from several years ago, is they were going for about 75 bucks. So I was trying to get him down to 30 because of the lines and stuff, and I knew I'd have to send it out to get it repaired. He wouldn't take 30, but he said 40, and I was like, nah, I'm not going to do it. And so I left, and this was on, actually, this was on a Thursday, now that I think about it. And uh, I got on my... Um, my little app, and I was texting some people from the website. I was like, yeah, I was going to get this Nomad, but it, you know, it was 40 bucks. And they're like, 40 bucks? Really? Only 40 bucks? And I was like, yeah, but I had this, this, and this wrong with it. And they're like, dude, go back and get it for me if you don't want it. And I started thinking, okay. So I checked out prices on eBay, got a better idea what this thing was worth, and then called them immediately the next morning, had them hold it for me. And I was working from home, went and picked it up, and uh, paid the 40 bucks for it. So... Just one of those cases where if you don't really know the price of something off the top of your head, you can really hurt yourself or know like how much it's gone up over the last year or two. But as we all know, Sega Genesis collecting has really taken off within the last year or two. So that's my big pickup. Nice, man. I did see that on the forum. That's cool. I used to have one of those. I actually trade. Oh, really? either sold it or traded it to a fellow RF Generation member on the forum. So... Never been a big Sega Genesis collector, but I, it was one of those things like I, I was like you, I wanted one for so long. And once I got it, mm-hmm. I never touched it. And I'm like, this thing's just going to disintegrate on my shelf and nobody's uh, going to get to enjoy it. So I traded it away. Well, apparently the modding community is huge on this thing now. And so uh, people are putting LED screens on them. They're putting lithium batteries in them and uh, just making them really really awesome and i think a modded one will run you about 250 to 300 bucks on ebay now damn uh if you get it fully modded and so i I like to keep things original i don't like to mod stuff i i don't know it's just my nature for some reason as a collector to not mess with anything but because of the missing lines on the screen and the issues i'm gonna have somebody check it out and i may go that route because that's the only you know, route I can go uh, for a screen. So I'll probably end up doing that with this one. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, thanks. Want to move on to what are you playing? Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. I guess let's have the guests go first again. Kevin, what are you playing? 
Oh, man. Um, a heck of a lot of child of light. <laughs> Perfect. You're in the right place. Uh, it, it really. Uh, oh, you know what? Okay. I, uh, my wife and I have been playing uh, Overcooked. Um, okay. It's a two-player game. Have you guys heard of this game at all? No. No. Oh, okay. Well, you're in for a treat. If you guys like co-op games, co-op games that you can play with your significant other, uh, Overcooked has you covered. It's out on pretty much all the modern consoles and the PC. Uh, wife and I played it on uh, on Steam, and um, it's uh, like you're you're in a, a kitchen basically, and you have um, orders that come up, uh, and you need to put together the ingredients to get the orders out and uh as, you know there's like a timeline for every order that comes in um so you might be cooking hamburgers making pizza or making soup and it's the two of you in the kitchen you have your own individual character it's top down isometric view and um you know each of you uh have will have your ta- little tasks to do in the kitchen but it's up to you to talk to each other and kind of like give each other the tasks like you might have to wash dishes uh, you might have to chop vegetables and uh, it starts off, you know, like any really good game does. It starts off really easy. You know, you can each do your own thing. And But then as things start amping up, you know, there's only like one cutting board. Stuff starts moving around on you. Uh, you have mice <laughs> that come in that will take away your ingredients. Um, the cooking of things, like you, you cook soup at the start, which is really easy. You know, just put three ingredients in a pot and go. But then when you start making, uh, you start getting to pizza, it gets a little crazy because there's different orders for the pizza some want mushrooms some want peppers um there's uh the burritos are tough too because you have to cook rice in a pot and then fry up the meat in a pan so you're you know you're organizing like which burners to use and when and then like the layout of each uh kitchen is changes too uh to the point where like there was one kitchen for instance like you know when you start off there's like just an open area just go wherever you want but then it starts getting smaller and moving around like there was one kitchen where you only had enough room for one person to move around left or right and up and down at a time so basically what my wife and i did was just work everything in a circle um so like you get up to the board okay chop your mushrooms and then move all the way around and then i would move forward pick up the mushrooms and put them somewhere else and you're constantly talking to each other trying to figure stuff out especially if you want to get you know it's fairly easy to get the one star but if you want to get all three stars you're gonna have to like up your game and uh yeah we just oh man we played we we both had vacation this week. We both took uh, a, a week off, so we probably poured in about twenty hours into this game total because there's DLC and all that. And yeah, it is so much fun. It is like we're always on the hunt for co-op games, mm-hmm. and uh, this one was actually was actually recommended to us by Flock of Nerds, who have their own YouTube channel as well, and they do a lot of co-op games there. And I know both Miles and Catherine and. Actually, we just had them on our show on Retro Fandango. You can go check that out on Podbean. That's Retro Fandango. Always be plugging. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, they were both just guests on our show. And uh, yeah, they were recommending uh, this game. You know, like we try out a lot of co-op games and a lot of them just don't stick. You know, like we won't stick with it. Or especially like we like the Diablo style games, which you guys had just played last last month. Um, but we like like the two-player, like Diablo 2, Diablo 3 and a lot of those kind of games, co-op is kind of like a uh, an afterthought kind of thing, you know. So like, mm-hmm. one person will progress through the story, the main person will progress through the story, and the person that's with you will be playing a game with you, but they don't get any sort of credit or anything for 
accomplishing the quest or stuff. Just little weird things like that that gets kind of annoying. Um, but Overcooked is like, it's one of those games with co-op in mind. Like, you got to play this co-op. It's it's just the best way to play it. And couch co-op too, you know? How many games yeah. can you say that are, are around like that with, with couch co-op as a focus? So it's a lot of fun. Damn, man, that game sounds stressful. I think my wife might divorce me for screwing up on that game. <laughs> yeah, it, it can be. Especially, like, they give you all sorts of crazy scenarios. Like, the hardest ones, of course, are the fire and ice, like every other game. Fire and ice levels, yeah. like the ice ones, you're just sliding all over the place. And then fire, <laughs> if you misstep, you fall into the lava and you have to wait five seconds for you to respawn. Um, there's one kitchen that's on a bus. And, like, it's a moving bus. And half of the bus will just start moving away. So, like, there's a big gap between the buses. And all the ingredients are on one side of the bus. And you're on the other side of the bus. And, you know, I'm yelling at my wife, like, throw me some mushrooms. You know, it's just. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that's great. Now, what system did you say that was for? Uh, We played it on the PC on Steam. Okay. uh, It's on the PlayStation 4. And it's on uh, the Xbox One as well. And I think. It's coming to the Switch, or it might be on the Switch. I don't know. But it's on all the modern systems. Um, Very cool. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. But other than that, uh, I've been getting back into collecting Blu-rays for some reason. I'm on a real Blu-ray kick. You know, because video games are getting really expensive, and they're really hard to find. And Blu-rays are just cheap and everywhere. Like, they're dirt. Nobody wants them anymore, you know? Everyone has Netflix and like, uh, Blu-ray, throw this away. <laughs> so I'm just sitting yeah. there picking them all up now for like, you know, $4, $5 a piece. And my original intent was just to stick to the 80s action cheesy movies. But uh, I'm like finding myself like I'm buying Patton again. I don't know why I had it on VHS DVD and here I got it on Blu-ray now again, you know. But, uh, you know, when you see it for like $4, it's like, sure, if I'm going to watch it again, I'm going to watch it in HD. So, but yeah, I really haven't been playing anything other than that and Child of Light and trying to get through Diablo still. I'm still working on your last month's. Oh, <laughs> well, I guess on the on the handheld too on my PSP, I've been playing Final Fantasy IV because uh, that's going to be the Cartridge Club game of the month for, for oh, okay. next month. So might as well throw those guys a plug. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Say so, yeah, we're going to be playing along. We're going to be playing Final Fantasy two slash four. I guess next month. So you know, it's always fun playing a, a an RPG like a Japanese turn based RPG on on the. In a handheld system where you can just pick it up and play, grind for a bit before bed or whatever, you know. And that's a really good game to do that. If you if you played Final Fantasy before, but you haven't played the PSP version, they they throw a little a lot of little extras in there and that. It's really, I think, the definitive version of that game. It's good times. Very cool. Yep. How about you, Sean? What have you been playing? Um first thing I want to mention is uh Dungeon Siege 3, which I don't have to talk too much about because I wrote a quite probably the longest review i've written and i didn't even mean to do that thank you very much um i want to play that game now after reading that review i want to play that game cool thank you very much that's awesome yeah it is a pretty cool game and uh i mean if you don't want to read my review i i give it a pretty strong recommendation but yeah i i really elaborated on my thoughts on that one on the on the website uh so I want to mention, too, I don't say this every month, but I still play Metal Gear Solid 5 every single day. Isn't that crazy? Wow, really? Yeah. (laughs) That's nuts, man. It's awesome, though. Yeah, so here's the thing. I I never thought, I mean, the the game came out like a year and a half ago. I, I never thought it would have the legs that it does, but I'm almost playing it like a mobile game. 
because mm. you have soldiers that you recruit throughout the game. And when you're playing the main game, the recruiting of soldiers and the management of your base and all the other little things that you can do take a back seat or they're on the back burner, so to speak. So you don't think about them a lot. But one thing I realized now is that they have this thing called daily rewards. And for just signing in each day, you get uh, what are called MB coins, which was the microtransaction currency that was so controversial. It wasn't like super controversial, but it was one of those things where, oh, they got microtransactions in a $60 AAA retail game. That kind of sucks. But anyway, those were extremely hard to come by by just playing the game. I think around the time the game was new and once I finished it, I probably had about 150 to 200 of them. But now, just for going on every day and collecting the daily bonus, which most of the time is some of these MB coins in quantities up to like 15 or 30 a day, I have almost 2,000 of these coins. (laughs) So... They don't do much. I mean, you can use them to buy new bases for more soldiers. So basically, like I said, I'm playing this game like a mobile game. I go in, I spend 99% of my time in the menus. I go in, I send a bunch of soldiers out on missions. They recruit more soldiers who make more money doing different kinds of missions. And then I can get these MB coins every day and other resources, depending on what the daily rewards are. And I'm just building my bases bigger and building more bases and getting more soldiers and leveling up everything and developing more weapons. And it's kind of crazy because I rarely go in and actually play the game. Like I wrote on the blog a couple months ago, actually, at the one year mark since the game came out, that I was still playing it, but going in and doing side missions and creating my own scenarios and being like, you know, a, a, a murder squad and killing everybody or whatever, like... But now I'm I'm hardly ever even dropping in and actually playing the game. I'll just uh, boot it up, do some menu tweaking for about five minutes, and then get out of it. So it's, it's kind of crazy, but I love it. <laughs> Very cool, man. That's awesome that a game like that has that much staying power. Yeah, it's incredible. And speaking of incredible, the other thing I'm playing is Persona 5, which... Uh, we talked about a lot, uh, you know, this was something that a lot of people are anticipating and the game mm-hmm. media is kind of saturated with it right now. And, you know, it's one of those franchises that if you try to talk about, it's very complicated. I mean, people who know about it, know about it. People who don't know, it can be off-putting how deep it is and confusing, uh, it can be for newcomers. So I'll just say that uh, I'm enjoying it immensely, of course, and it's everything that I hoped for, and I'm playing the heck out of it. So, <laughs> Yeah, I heard Crabby, uh, of course, I, I keep in touch with him, Crabmaster from the Collector Cast, and uh, he's a big, big Persona fan, and he'll text us every once in a while, let us know like where he's at. He's like 40 hours in and just hit a big twist in the story. He's like, and it feels like there's so much more gameplay to go. And then I get another one. It's like 70 hours in and another twist. And it doesn't feel like this story's going to end. He's like, it's amazing. Wow. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of people are having a really good time with this game. And uh, uh, I assume it may be game of the year. Yeah, this year, though, there's so many. I mean, I haven't played all these great games that I keep hearing about, but I've heard mm-hmm. on so many, like, professional quote-unquote podcasts in the games media that's like 
we're going to have a hard time when we get to the game of the year section. Like all mm-hmm. these, you know, Breath of the Wild and Nier and there's uh, so many. Horizon Zero Yeah, Dawn. Horizon. So many I can't. Yakuza Zero. Like all these games I really want to play, but I just, I can't yet. But at least I can play Persona 5 because they put it out on the PS3 and uh, the content is all the same. It's just pretty much like down and some of the graphics aren't as good, but it looks perfectly beautiful to me so i don't i'm not concerned with what i'm missing by not playing the ps4 <laughs> version yeah so very cool well uh i felt like i had some great pickups this month but um uh, man what i'm playing is pretty lackluster actually <laughs> i uh, of course like you guys uh child of light still playing that and uh, of course i finished it but i picked it up again a few days ago put a little more time in it just for a, a refresher but the only other game that I've been playing has been Mega Man 2. I've been spending a lot of time with my kid in my game room, and Mega Man 2 is just one of my all-time favorite games that I can just fly through. And so he and I were up here a few weeks ago and uh, just broke out the Mega Man 2 and just did a quick run through that. And uh, I don't think my kids have ever been really exposed to a lot of Mega Man. They know who he is. Of course, they can immediately identify who Mega Man is, but I think it was kind of cool for them to really see, and especially my son, uh, what that game was like and, you know, what a true kind of old retro platformer is. And, uh, yeah, he really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, wasn't the longest experience, you know, it doesn't take that long to finish, but just, you know, having my son here and showing him that and you know, something we could do together and saying, hey, you know, I need to go to this stage first. He's like, why don't you go to that one first? And be like, because you can get a weapon here that will help you defeat that boss really easily, or you'll need an item to reach a certain area. And um, yeah, yeah, really cool experience. So that's it for me. Awesome. Well, with that all being said, let's get into our game, shall we? Well, hold on just a second. Oh, I just want to mention something. Sorry, oh, yeah. sorry. I got a little more bullshitting to do All here. Right. So uh, before we get into it, I do want to mention that um, my buddy Cameron and I, who I've talked about before on the show, he actually joined us for a Golden Axe episode. Um, I think that was probably about a year and a half to two years ago. It's been a while. He actually does the music for our show as well. I had mentioned that he moved out to Nashville, Tennessee, uh, which is several hours away from me now. And it was kind of a sad time because I'd sort of lost my buddy. You know, that was my gaming buddy. He's my only friend that really played games. And um, he contacted me the other day. He's like, man, I'm thinking about doing this podcast. Would you want to do it with me? I was like, well, man, I've got a lot going on. I'm doing a lot of editing. Um, I'm doing some other stuff too. But, um, I mean, I'll show up and talk. If that's cool, I just don't want to have to do anything else. And he's like, well, cool. Yeah, we'll do that. And so the other night we recorded sort of our inaugural episode. And yeah, I mean, it's somewhat about video games and pickups and stuff like that. But it's more sort of like a buddy show where we talk about movies and anything sort of retro and toy pickups and stuff like that. But I think it's just kind of a, a show where we just kind of miss hanging out with each other and just want to do something and i don't know it's kind of a short show it only lasts about an hour and uh just uh thought it would be a nice thing to do in small bite-sized chunks 
But my biggest kind of update that I wanted to mention is that a new episode of She Hate Horror will be out way before you listen to this episode. So uh, the wife and I recorded Friday night, and I actually stayed up till 2.30 last night finishing editing this show. And so it has been six months since we've put out a show. Oh, wow. Uh, we have a thread on RF Generation, and people were kind of like, hey, man, is anything coming out? You know, and I really, really kind of realized how many people really actually listened and enjoyed the show. And uh, it kind of spurned us to, you know, kind of move on and get going again. I might have mentioned in our last show, I'm not sure, but our youngest child had some um, health issues with his ears. And so we haven't been getting a lot of sleep in the last six months. And we've been really dealing with that. And just have not had the energy to watch movies or even, you know, podcasts. I mean, I was kind of barely scraping by being able to do this and doing the editing. So it's nice to be really sort of back on the wagon for this. And uh, I'm really pumped about this new episode coming out. We listened to it uh, today after I'd finished it. And uh, it's really good. And we're really, really excited. So um, if you haven't checked out our show, go to Podbean and uh, type in She Hate Horror and find us and uh, give us a listen. It's a fun show. This month we played uh, Child of Light, and I'll just get through some of the nuts and bolts real quick here. Our participants were myself, Dougley007, who plays, as we mentioned, every single game we put up, our old friend Steven, Disposed Hero, Raidu, Zofar53, Single Banana, our special guest here, Buried on Mars, and last but not least, Crabmaster2000. The game was actually developed by Ubisoft, which it's so peculiar to me that they put out a game like this, but we'll get get more into it. They used the UbiArt engine that they had created for uh, the Rayman games that they put out, Rayman Origins and Rayman Legends. The initial release was in April 2014, and the game is available on all kinds of consoles and PC. I'll just list them real quick. Microsoft Windows, PS3, PS4, PlayStation Vita, Wii U, uh, Xbox 360, and Xbox One. Now, Rich, I know you and I played it on the Vita. Kevin, what platform did you play the game on? Uh, Steam. Okay, very cool. So we got a PC player, which is good because I think there are some things that are obviously going to be unique to the Vita version, and it's good to have a different perspective on the gameplay. So the story of Child of Light 
is that you play as a, a young girl named Aurora, and in the opening cutscene, she falls ill and dies, quote unquote. And I have that in quotes in the notes because she kind of slips into this, I guess you could say a coma. And in the game, you end up in this storybook fantasy world. And now I'm drawing a blank on what it's called, and I didn't put it in the notes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when Aurora dies, the Duke then becomes bedridden because he's so upset and your mission or your task is to try and uh, figure out uh, how to beat Umbra, who has stolen... Oh, it's uh, Lemuria is the, the name of yeah, the world. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. So, yeah, it's later on in the notes, which was kind of stupid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's kind of... Conf if it's not confusing already, I mean, if that... <laughs> <laughs> like if that's not obvious one of the things that i had trouble with and i'm having trouble with now is telling the story that's happening on in the real world and the story that's happening in lemuria so in the real world aurora basically gets sick and dies and then the duke is so upset about that that he gets really sick but in the meantime you play the game in lemuria but you think about your father and what's going on in the real world but in lemuria umbra who is the main villain has stolen the sun, the moon, and the stars to take all the light out of Lemuria and just basically take it over. Your journey and your task is to defeat her. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Uh, Rich, playing the game a little bit more recently, as have I. I didn't mention that in, in What Are You Playing, but I was playing it a little over the past couple of days, and man, I might get sucked in and just play the whole thing again. But uh as far as the story goes, is there anything you want to add there? Yeah, I mean, it sounds simple sort of on the surface, but as you progress through the game, it gets a lot deeper. There's some dark shit going on in this game, right? I mean, that's probably the best way to describe it. Yeah. Um, it's a game that has a very whimsical and childlike fantasy look to it and a sort of story that's I want to say sort of Disney-esque, right? Because mm -hmm. yeah. what I always think about Disney is there's always one parent that is missing in Disney films. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before as you've watched Disney films. They're always an orphan. The lead character yeah, is an yeah. orphan all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And what I sort of compare this to, and Sean, I think I might have said this to you in a conversation. I said it reminds me of Disney meets Hamlet. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, everyone had to read Hamlet in high school, I believe, or at least maybe college. But, you know, there's some uh, shenanigans going on in the back uh, story. There's some poisonings and things like that going on. And if you you really think about it and you think about the story of Hamlet, it really uh, parallels it in so many different ways. And even one of the characters in the game is called Cordelia. Now, that's a name from the play King Lear, but it's obviously a reference to Shakespeare. And I think uh, this game is very much inspired by Disney and Shakespeare, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. Kevin, what did you think of the just the overall story? Now, before you, I'm sorry, but before you answer that, I will say <laughs> we're about to go into the characters. And I think this is kind of a game where a lot of the characters' backgrounds make up the story. So just as far as the main story, the overarching story, what did you think about what was going on? Um, well, I have a bit of a reading comprehension problem. And when it comes to poetry, my mind just like 
cannot understand what people are talking about. It, it's really frustrating to me. And I just want to shake people and just say, just talk in English. Tell me what you want. <laughs> um, so I would say that for me personally, the story was probably my least favorite part of the game. Like I, it felt like as if the game was going for this child book vibe, like trying to bring me back to a book that I might have read when I was a kid, especially in the yeah, book I agree with that. and the like how everything looks and everything. And uh, it just didn't work for me. It just didn't uh, grab me. But generally, when it comes to video games, I'm not a big story guy anyways. I'm not the authority. I'm more of a gameplay guy. So uh, it didn't really bother me. You know, I just I couldn't really understand what the heck was going on because they just weren't talking in plain English. I knew the dad was sick and she was trying to get back to her dad. And I knew the stepmom was evil and really, that's all I, that's, I grasped onto those two things and I just went, went in for the ride, you know? Yeah. We had one of our uh, members on the forum, Radu, who talked about the rhyming dialogue and it was sort of, you know, goes with what you're mentioning about it. And he said it was very strong at first. I thought it was really well done from the beginning, but as it progressed, it kind of fell off a, a good bit. And, you know, when you're trying to write a story and use that much rhyme, I can see how it would really fall off, especially as deadlines start to approach. And I, I sort of felt the same way about that in this game. I don't know, Sean, how did you feel about the rhyming? Did you like that? Or was that something that you thought was strong throughout the game? Or did it you know, maybe fall off? Yeah, no, it definitely fell off. It was one of those things where you're playing and you're like, oh, cute, everything rhymes. And then halfway through the game, it's like, just stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, even, and I mean, I have to applaud them for the effort, though. I mean, you know, I mean, that's, that's an arduous task. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, they tried, right? And I think it was, uh, I think it was also Raidu in the forum who said, or maybe it was Steven, uh, who said every time Rubella screwed up the rhymes, I was happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got a bit of a laugh out of that, I remember. So, yeah, no, I thought they were going for something that fit in with the motif of the children's storybook, make it sound like a fairy tale, like kind of a sing-song kind of meter to the writing. Mm-hmm. But I think Kevin has a point that that kind of dilutes the actual storytelling in, and it makes this kind of not great poetry come to the forefront while you're i would rather have some kind of just straightforward exposition so i think it would be cooler if just one like just if if the main character rhymed or if one or two characters were about the rhyming and everyone else spoke normal like and I don't know. I might have yeah, might have appreciated cool. that more instead of everybody. Like even even like when somebody would start talking and then the uh, another character would like step in with with the rhyme to finish everything off and you're like, "Oh, no, just <laughs> it was fine. It was done. The dialogue was done. Stop there." But I, Yeah, it could have been like those uh junk robots in Transformers the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the only ones that rhyme. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cool. Well, like I said, this story is pieced together by the backgrounds of the characters as well as just the overarching story. And we have quite a bit of support here for our main player character, who is Aurora, who I mentioned before. And uh, I'll just go. Well, I don't know if I'm going to just list them, but you got I will. Okay, Finn, (laughs) Genevieve, Nora. Oingus, I don't know really how to pronounce that. Um, Robert, Rubella, and Tristus. Uh, Rubella is 
the first no 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 finn is the first party member you encounter and then rabella and you go along for a little while with just those two to get used to the Mm -hmm. party mechanics and the leveling up and everything so I had a few favorites here, and just talking story-wise, uh, I put a, some notes about their uh, attributes as player characters in combat, but just as far as their character attributes and their personalities, I would just say I really liked Rubella and Tristis. Tristis is really like off the deep end depressed, but Rubella's like only halfway there, so you spend a lot of time with Rubella. She comes on pretty early in the game and you spend so much time with her. She becomes very endearing and as such a sad character. And then you meet Tristis and he's even worse. And, you know, we've all had friends in real life or we've dealt with depression ourselves. And uh, I'm not going to say it was the greatest portrayal. I mean, this isn't a realistic game. It's not a real life scenario. But there was something there that was just very sad, very deep and uh, troubling uh, to to me as a player. Like, didn't want to see these people uh, suffering the way they they were. So those were the characters that most stuck with me. I don't know. What about you guys? Yeah, um, probably for me, I, I think with the party members, I sort of went through a progression of who I played with. It was kind of heavy as far as supporting cast, and I think we should mention that you can only play as two at one time, right? Uh, which was a little disappointing. I, I wish they would have added a few more slots so that you could sort of fill out these characters, um, and I think it would have made the game a little deeper as well. But I can see how they wanted to try to, you know, maybe simplify it a little more based on the story being, you know, one of, you know, more childlike sort of fairy tale. The first person I sort of ran into uh, was Rubella, and so I used her for a while. And then once I got to Finn, who's the um, power caster in the group of support, I used Finn until, I guess, till I got to Nora. I, I sort of changed my game style because, of course, the enemies in this game, you know, some of them are weak to different elements. So if you used Finn, you could sort of figure out what those elements were and, you know, really progress through the game easily that way. But with Nora, I really like that she had these like timeline powers and buffs. And I can't remember which ones they were, Sean, but you mentioned on the forums about which ones that you used that were sort of overpowering. You remember what those were? Uh, no, I do not. Lag, I think, was one. And well, yeah. Lull, Lull, thank you, yeah. Yeah, Lull. Lull and Wall, yeah, yeah. Because if you use Wall, then you can't be interrupted for three turns. And if you use mm-hmm. Lull, it makes the enemy go slow on the timeline. But people aren't going to know what the timeline is because we're not there yet. Um, <laughs> I want to ask <laughs> I want to ask Kevin what he feels about the uh, just the characters in general and their characterizations. Well, just to uh, add to your, like, how, how the story is told through doing all these characters uh, side quests basically kind of sort of i really enjoyed that part of the game and it kind of felt like mass effect a little bit to me like a bioware game you know where you have your your crew with you and you don't really necessarily have to do their their mission but you feel compelled to because the game gives you like this little like they give you a little bit of their sad story at the start and you kind of feel compelled to help them uh especially um i can't pronounce his name but he was like the big guy he looked to me. He, he reminded me of a Klingon. I thought they were his, him and his <laughs> tribe were all like Klingons, 
because they were. <laughs> Is it was it Onegus the Onegus, tank? Onegus, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. like a tank character, and I really like that because I generally use tank characters in most of my games, and yeah, you know, they're simple. You know, just get in there and 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 fight, and they can take a lot of damage. And I really like that side story too. That was like that was one of my favorite parts of the game. Um, so he was a blast, and I really liked Nora until the plot twist later on and i was so disappointed <laughs> yeah. when i couldn't use her anymore because I know. yeah i would i was using that lull like crazy that was the first thing i looked like in her branch you know like you could assign skill points and you had different branches and i was like whatever branch you can go to to upgrade lull that was my main goal my main task with her can i ask you a question really quick for both of you did you feel like when that plot twist happened that the powering up of that character was going to screw you in the end? <laughs> I worried about that. Uh, yeah, I didn't even think of that. I was more thinking of all the stuff that she had, and I wasn't sure if I was going to get it back, like all the gems and yeah. everything. You know, because I gave her some good stuff because she was one of my favorite characters. And I grinded for those diamonds and that. And and here she was like, uh, is she going to take off with all that? Uh, it does give back to you. So, Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what I was mentioning previously was the game sort of forces you to make a progression and change up your characters throughout um, a few times. I mean, it's not heavy, but you definitely have to change your style of play throughout the game as it goes. I really enjoyed actually only having two players uh, or two characters available at, at a time because it made you have to think ahead a little bit too, you know? The cool thing was that you could swap them out at any time and they could actually take over the place of the person that you have closest to the casting bar. Mm -hmm. You know, you can swap them out right there. And, and so it's like, okay, I need this right now. I'm going to swap them out right now. And I'm going to put, you know, whatever this character has. So everything was kind of available to you. You just kind of had to think ahead a little bit. And I, I really dug that part of the game. Yeah. And kind of going back to what Sean was sort of asking us about the characters and sort of if we identified with the characters, I think maybe the one that I liked a lot was Robert's story. It was kind of odd, you know, in that, you know, he's trying to win this girl's heart. He's trying to impress this girl, but she's really having nothing to do with him. Um, it seems like she's more interested in his self-confidence, whereas he thinks she's more interested in his money. Right. Wow. Yeah. And so... Yeah, I, I thought that was a really powerful story, and I like that. Even though, man, I really never used Robert a lot. I think I tried him out a few times, but just wasn't really interested in his uh, ability tree. Even though he sort of replaces uh, Nora, because he has something that's very similar to Lull in sort of a uh, an interruption type way. Well, he had he had the the dispel power too, where yeah. like if you had like if somebody casted Lull on one of your characters, you can bring him in. I think he was the only one that had that without using a, a potion. Yeah. Well, we ought to mention also that we had uh, Ignictus, who was uh, yeah. the Firefly-ish little blue light character who flies around the screen. And you can control him, and especially in battle, you would it would behoove you to do so. But on the overworld, you can kind of you know let him just follow you. But basically, he's just your companion. I, I wouldn't say he has much personality. He does have his own side quest later in the game, but mm -hmm. I didn't complete that. I, did, I couldn't even be no. compelled to do that. So it's noteworthy that on the console versions of the game, and I'm guessing the PC, but I'm not sure, that Ignictus can be controlled by a player too. So that's kind of neat. 
man, I wish I had that person because those thumbsticks gave me a hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, even like I used the Xbox One controller on the PC and even holding down that trigger, you know, for like it took me about 15 hours to play that game. And every time you're in a battle, you're holding down that trigger for the entire battle. And yeah, I could still feel it in my finger a little bit. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. And uh, just to round out the cast of characters, we have the, the bad guys here. Uh, Umbra is the main villain. Like I said, she has stolen the sun, moon, and stars to take the lightness out of Lemuria. And then her daughters, who are Nox and Crepusculum. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting name. Yeah. So these are the alter egos of formerly friendly Nora and Cordelia, who in the aforementioned plot twist, uh, when you lose Nora and she reveals her kind of true identity as yeah. Umbra's daughter. So yeah, unless anybody has anything else to say about the cast of characters and their characterizations, we'll get into the meat of the gameplay. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that with the Nora character, I kind of had a suspicion as I was playing the game, and I don't know if any of you had the suspicion. You know what? I'll stop you right there because I think I know part of what you're going to say, and I want to say... Was the frame of animation where her character portrait bites her bottom lip and looks angry, was that part of what tipped you off? No, I mean, oh, not okay. for me. I think it was just... <laughs> That's interesting, though. I didn't notice that. But I think just the fact that you're basically dead and then your sister shows up in the dream world was kind of odd. I'm just kind of like, oh, wow, did something happen to her? But then, you know... Aurora just doesn't seem that surprised to see her or like, how did you get here? Or, you know, say anything like that. So it was very odd to me, you know, and I was like, oh, how's she? Why is she here? Is she like this sort of doppelganger, you know, it's going to trick her, you know, it just kind of stirred those emotions in me. And I was just kind of wondering if like, like Sean, you saw that. Uh, was there any other sort of like tales or anything that you guys maybe picked up on? Or did you feel the same way as I did? I was floored. I was like, what? What do you mean? I gave you all my all the best stuff, and now you're turning your back on me. <laughs> I, I sucked me right in. No, I, I think I, I didn't even think about it until like I could see that one scene where you know the, the stepmom is up on the uh, she's up higher than you on top okay. of that thing. And as soon as I saw that scene, that's where I was like, oh, okay, this is this is where it's going to be. Like she's going to turn on me, but uh, I didn't I didn't like see it coming before that. Yeah, for me, I think it was more of a hindsight thing. Like, I certainly didn't see it coming. And when it was, but then afterward, I was like, oh, yeah, I, she kind of did look like she had a little bit of a dark side, you know? Like, mm. but yeah, only in hindsight after it happened. Yeah, I mean, I'll say, like, I kind of felt that way at first and then it passed. And so I didn't think about it anymore. And then it happened. So I was surprised, probably as much as you guys were. And probably mad at myself for getting sucked back into it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. Nice. Well, let's get into the gameplay then. Uh, so there's kind of two aspects to the game. It's 2D world exploration and then the battle system. And you start out, you can only run and jump, and it's kind of a platforming game. You gain very early on in the game the ability to fly and I, for one, was like, how are they going to keep this interesting throughout the whole game? You can fly now. Like, where does the challenge of platforming go? But they kind of make it work. And we can talk a little bit about that. 
And I wouldn't call this game by any means a Metroid or a Castlevania or what's that thing when you put those two words? A Metroidvania? Metroidvania. I know, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's not, it's by no means like that. There's no special abilities or anything. But the one aspect I do see from those types of games is that a little bit of exploring goes a long way. And there's tons of loot everywhere and treasure chests and these little things that only Ignictus can pick up. And it's worthwhile because it's very hard to get lost and going off the beaten path will usually only take you about a not even a minute, maybe 30 seconds and you'll find a chest. So some very, very surface exploration elements in the game. Enemies can be seen on the screen in front of you and fights are initiated by touching them and you could do either a surprise strike if you catch an enemy from behind but if they hit you from behind it's an ambush and i will say the system of being ambushed or surprise strikes i i like that it's like that because when you're on the game world you're kind of being strategic about how you approach enemies but it's very shaky and the game doesn't account for when you just run into an enemy head on. A lot of times they call that an ambush and I call BS on that. <laughs> and a lot of times, a lot of times I found myself saying that should have been a surprise strike. Why am I not getting the, you know, the head start that, that it gives you? Uh, so yeah, so I should explain what it does is gives you a little bit of a head start in the battle and, uh, we'll get to the battle system next, but, uh, that's that's what you get when you attack an enemy before they can see you. So let's talk about the uh, 2D world exploration a little and um, looting and uh, initiating battles. What do you think about the, just the general gameplay here, Kevin? Uh, yeah, I thought that was all fine. I, I liked it when you know she got the ability, she got her wings, and was able to fly. Um, I loved going up and you know. Searching it through all the trees and stuff, uh, finding all the chests that you know just just ran by before, and yeah, I, I I dug all that stuff. I I found that you had to though, like if you tried to run through this game quickly, uh, you were going to get creamed later on because uh, the enemies, you know, they uh, get nasty <laughs> the further you go into this game. So you had to grind on those lower level. Like I would clear an area of all the enemy, any enemy I could find. You know, and even at the end of the game, I was probably around level 45-ish, which... So I must have missed some parts. I must have missed some things. Um, I know we're, we'll probably get into it later on, but, like, I was, like, looking everywhere for a, a flying pig, and I never did find him. So I probably <laughs> missed, missed out on that side quest. But, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed all that stuff. I thought it was all, like, very cleverly, like, stuff was hidden very well. You could kind of see, like, oh, there's light on the side of that mountain there. I bet you there, there's an entranceway. And you would go in and sure enough, there would be something there and something for you to discover. And even going down into the catacombs and the, you know, there would be like underground stuff and that. And uh, you'd find all good treasures. And I, I, yeah, I enjoyed all that part of the game. It was really well done. Yeah, I thought so too. And I really liked the way, like the game forces you to grind, mm -hmm. but it doesn't seem like it's forcing you to grind, if that makes sense. I don't know if that really makes sense to you guys, but you have to take out enemies and you have to beat enemies in order to progress. And like Kevin said, if you don't, then you're going to have a lot of trouble in the game. But I really thought that it was integrated really well, that it didn't feel like work. 
to me. It gave and you, it, uh, I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, I, I think it gave you a little sense of purpose too. Like you weren't just like, oh man, there's enemies there. I'm gonna have to fight all these guys. I'm gonna lose yeah. like all this health and all this stuff. And it's really it's like, no, if I fight these guys, I'm gonna get better, and it's gonna make the rest of the game an easier ride for me. So it actually it gave you a little sense of purpose. Yeah, and it helps with the art style too to not have like random encounters as well. Mm. It makes the game more beautiful and it adds something to it to have these beasts sort of just flying through the world, you know, and then you have to approach them to actually encounter. Because like you said, I mean, you can skip them if you want to, but uh, you're going to suffer for it in the long run. Yep. That sounds very familiar, right? The whole, you better go in and just, if, like, if you just kill everything you encounter, you should be in good shape. I'm getting deja vu from last month's episode. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we used the word grindy a few times, but I didn't, I, I wouldn't even use that word because, well, you can, you can grind. I mean, enemies respawn and, and you yeah. can go grind to your heart's content but i do feel that it could suffice to just beat everything you find and again with a little bit of exploration you won't find only loot and treasure but you'll also find uh, some enemies lurking in the darkness so yeah take those yeah. out for more xp and uh keep leveling up so ain't nothing wrong with a little bump and grind <laughs> no man, I, I'm a I'm a huge like even in Persona Five right now I, I just grind like crazy. I want my character to be over leveled and I don't mind working for it. I want to be freaking powerful in a in a game that has like a progression system, you know. So yeah, I tend to be that way. So speaking of the combat system, so we'll explain this this whole timeline thing, which was a real hook of the game. Yeah. The timeline is something that your characters are on. And and please, if you haven't played this game, just watch a quick YouTube video of this. Because for me to explain it, you're going to have to visualize it in your head. And it, it's not going to make sense. Um, so you see your characters and you see the other the enemy characters on the screen. Just like any other millions of RPGs you've played in the past. But there's this meter on the bottom that is actually a timeline with your character's icons on them and the enemy's icons on them. And they move forward into this red zone. And the red zone is where you make your strike or your spell or whatever you're going to do, your buffs or debuffs. And if you are in that red zone and an enemy hits you, you get pushed back on the timeline and you can't do what you set your character to do. And you have to kind of start progressing on that line again. Conversely, if an enemy or more than one enemy is in there and you strike them, they can get knocked back on the timeline. What makes that interesting is that you can have spells and items and all kinds of things that mess with the timeline. And it's pretty cool because you can slow down enemies. You can speed yourself up on the timeline. You, like we mentioned before, there's um, wall, which makes it, uh, impossible for you to be interrupted on the timeline for three turns. So it adds this whole element to the game. It's not exactly real time because you still have a chance to stop. Like when your character hits that red zone, that's when the game stops and you have a chance to collect yourself and decide what you're going to do. But everything else as it's going, it, it's all in real time, so to speak. And, uh, this combat system is really cool. I liked it a lot. Yeah. And uh, also, I should mention, before we just get into the discussion of it, you can use Ignictus, 
he just floats around on the screen. You could do whatever you want with him with the right stick, and you can have him heal your characters, or you can have him um, kind of slow down the enemy characters. But he has this little meter of his own that shrinks as he does anything. And there's always these little flowers on the screen that you can replenish once or twice. And if you wait a very long time, those flowers actually replenish as well. But if you're leaning yep. on Ignictus, you're probably doing something wrong. He's supposed to be just kind of a, a little extra help, kind of, is how I would, I would put it. So this, this system really reminds me of that game Shadow Hearts. I know, actually, most people compare it to Grandia, but I've never played Grandia. I will throw that to you guys in a minute. But uh, two things that kind of come to mind is Chrono Trigger, but not really. But the game Shadow Hearts has this uh, disc that it's like a spinning wheel, and you have to hit certain pie pieces on the wheel to do certain things. And then a whole bunch of your spells and... uh, items make the wheel spin faster or you know make it slow down or the pie pieces are different sizes and it's it really reminded me of that where there's like a secondary system within the battle system and i love that kind of stuff i think it's really cool so uh first of all has anybody here ever played grandia and if not just tell me what you think about this uh battle system kevin i'll throw it to you first i have not played grandia I think I played a little bit of two, but not enough to remember what the battle system was like. But the way I think of this battle system is it's like a status bar in Final Fantasy. You know, like uh, when you, you you attack an enemy or whatever and you got that, you got to wait until your character is ready to attack again. And that's pretty much the first part of the timeline. That's the blue part. Now, just imagine at the end of your Final Fantasy status bar it's all full you can select and tell your character to do something again and you got an extra little bit of status and within that status if an enemy attacks you you have to start back at the beginning of the timeline i think that's how i looked at it and i thought it was really well done i thought it was really cool because there was so many different variables that you had to think of and that you could do so if an enemy you could see that an enemy was ready to attack you you can actually defend which was an awesome way to start back at the beginning of the timeline. If you get hit, you'll only take a minimum amount of damage and you'll fly through the timeline on the second round. Mm-hmm. So I, I relied on that heavily. I was using that a lot. And uh, I probably was playing it wrong because I used Invictus a lot. I relied on him heavily too. Uh, sometimes you'd have like three enemies attacking you, sometimes only one or two. But if there was three, I would, I would pick like the strongest one and I'd stick in sick Invidious, Invictus or Whatever the heck his name is. Ig, Ignickle. I can't. Right, anyways. Ignictus. Ignickleback. That little blue ball. I would put him. Uh, I, I would put him on like whatever character is in the. It was in the red. You know, if one of the enemies was in the red, you could throw him in there and you could fit. You could pick like a fast attack on your character to try to beat the uh, enemy to the end of the timeline. So you could actually strike him first and send him back to the beginning of the timeline. So I thought that was crazy good. That was like a, it was like a game within a game kind of thing. Like, and that really sucked me into the game. And that's that's the reason why I like this game so much is that gameplay right there. That was a great battle system. 
Yeah, I have to agree. The battle system in this game is what really, really makes the game. It's fantastic. Um, before I continue speaking about it, I do want to say I have not played Grandia, but I did pick it up several weeks ago as part of my <laughs> PS1 RPG collecting. So nice. I do have that in the collection and want to play it, of course. Uh, I haven't played Shadow Hearts either, but I do have one of those games in my collection. I just want to say that you guys were mentioning the timeline, and I don't know if you guys had this happen a few times, but what's neat is that your enemies and your speed um, of each of your characters is different. So some are faster, some are slower. But once you get to that timeline, what you can do is whatever spell or action you choose, some of them can be instantaneous, and some, like bigger spells, take longer to cast. So as you're you're moving down the timeline in that smaller red area. If you cast a big spell, it can be slow, and someone can cast a quicker one and get past you and possibly hit you and send you back down the timeline. So I really like that. I really like the complexity of it and um, just thought it was such a cool feature in the game. I didn't know how I was going to like it when I was, you know, watching some videos and kind of reading about the game before he chose it. But, uh, man, it is so well done. Do you guys know, have any other games tackled this sort of timeline combat system before? Other than, I guess, the one Sean had mentioned that seemed very similar. Has anyone, like in modern day gaming, has anyone done this sort of timeline? I don't know. That's why I was kind of hoping one of y'all had played Grandia because that's what I've heard is is the most like this. But uh, yeah, I don't know of any other ones besides, I mean, Kevin had a good point with the Final Fantasy thing and uh, some of these things were, uh, they're like pseudo real time. This, this is an element that's out there, not a ton, but this one just kind of puts it right in your face. Like you are on a schedule here and you, you better, you know, strategize how you are going to make it into that red zone without getting knocked out of it. So yep. that's, uh, that's pretty cool. So Yeah, I noticed on some of the boss fights too that it, it would be tough. I would keep getting knocked back so many times at the beginning of the battle. But once I took out maybe part of the boss or some of the ads in the fight, yeah. then the fight would get a lot easier. There's really like a rhythm to it. There's literally a rhythm mm -hmm. to it. Um, Absolutely. And there, there are some battles where things can go south real quick. And it can be frustrating when you get kicked out of the red zone two or three times in a row. And you're like, oh, yep. man, this is... <laughs> this ain't working. I got to do something else. And uh, speaking of that, like Kevin mentioned that you can switch out party members at any time. And we've, we've already mentioned you can only have two at once. But um, the other thing, too, is if, if a party member gets KO'd, you can just replace them with somebody else, which adds to the kind of easiness of this game. But we'll get to that yeah. later. Um, and I should also mention that there is a kind of a rock, paper, scissor uh, system going on where characters have weaknesses uh, that you can exploit with elemental powers. That's, that's a pretty standard thing. We see that in all kinds of different yeah. RPGs. But that kind of gets me into the uh, next section, and uh, that would be the, the weapons and oculi system. You actually have the same weapon through the whole game. There's no shops. You're not buying different weapons or uh, upgrading. Well, the Oculi could be considered an upgrade, but you're not. it's not like a Secret of Mana where there's 50 different weapons and anybody can use them. You just have, like, Aurora has her one sword through the whole game. Uh, mm -hmm. But you can 
kind of augment these weapons with oculi which is a it's a really basic system for an rpg it's it's not like a super deep crafting system from like a dragon age or something i would call that super deep but you know what i'm saying you're basically taking these stones and combining them and trying to make different color stones that can give you your weapons and your armor uh, and one accessory i believe uh different attributes that will help you be resistant to lightning damage or deal more fire damage which is very useful depending on what area you're on you want to be uh, properly equipped to fight the enemies in that area so the game is not like highly customizable but this is kind of the one thing that you can do besides the skill tree which we'll get to but this you can do on the fly anytime you want to kind of spec out your characters I'm not going to say I paid a absolute ton of attention to this, but I certainly used it when I could in my uh, to my advantage. So uh, was this a big part of you guys' gameplay? It was for me. I spent a lot of time uh, mixing up different crystals and or oculi, and it, it reminded me of um, you know like a, a Diablo game, like the stuff that you would add to the armor, like those like gems that you would combine and add to armor, but mm-hmm. you could take them out and add them at your leisure. Yeah, I, I, I spent a lot of time in there doing it. I kind of had a love-hate relationship with it. I, I liked the buffs that it would give me, and I liked trying to figure out, like, what was the best. But I, I just wish there was, like, um like just give me the best. Like, select, like, uh, equip the best ones for Aurora. Equip the best ones for your mage guy. I'm blanking on his name. But, you know, like, instead of having to go through and, like, swapping them out all the time like that i couldn't i can tell you the amount of times i would just like start from scratch like unequip all my oculi from everybody just so i know like which ones i had like that were the best and that like so i was making sure that i was assigning the right gems to the right person you know each person had a um you know like their their weapon their armor and i don't know what the other slot was i can't remember i think it's an amulet i was kind of struggling for the word for it yeah, and they all did uh, different things. They gave you different buffs for each one. The diamonds gave you um, experience points, you know, extra experience points. So I wanted to make sure that, I, you know, my main characters had those. You kept finding so many too. Like I, I would like spend so much time getting it already all set up. It's like, okay, good. And then I would find like that next chest and it was like, oh, here's three more. And I'm like, oh man, I just did all this. I don't want to do it all again. So I, I don't know if it, you know, if it really did that much in the end. But uh, I don't know. I spent. I think I spent way too much time <laughs> messing around with those. Yeah, I spent a considerable amount of time messing around with them. But honestly, I, I didn't get a lot of diamonds, or you know, just didn't push it that far, and didn't grind a lot to try to collect a bunch of stones and make sure all my characters were you know set up with things that would be beneficial to them. In the end, I really think that it was a system that was a great idea but was probably a little more complex than what it should have been for this game as far as the length is concerned. Mm. I didn't use it a lot, and really in the end game, I don't think it helped me that much in any way. I mean, you know, I probably had a lot more light damage for the final fight since I focused mainly on my main character with the Oculi. And so, of course, having light damage helped out quite a bit at the end. But uh, I think it's something that they added to the game, and I don't know if it was an afterthought. I thought it was cool, but I don't know that it helped the game like one way or another. It was interesting, but eh. 
It definitely made the, uh, when Nora slash Nox turns into a giant squid, if you added all water-resistant gems to all your mm-hmm. characters, that, that made that fight a hell of a lot easier. Yeah, and I think that if you were playing this game on a higher difficulty setting or playing the plus version, I think maybe those might have come into play more. I didn't worry about like what I was fighting or add water resistance to any fights and, uh, you know, really didn't have any problem with any bosses. But, uh, you know, I, I guess I should mention that I was just playing it on, I guess it was just normal difficulty. And Sean, I know you were as well, but there is actually a hard setting as well. And so from what I understand from people that did that or actually tried that out, it made the game a lot more challenging. So hmm. I only had uh, two settings. It was it was casual and expert. It seemed to be like yeah. one extreme yeah. or the other. There was no in between. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. I did yeah. I did play it on expert because, you know, I'm an expert, so why not? But <laughs> I, <laughs> awesome, man. Good for you. I <laughs> a lot of times Sean and I are just worried about finishing the game. We want to definitely get the full experience of the game for the month. And I, I think for me personally, had I known how the game would play out, I would have picked a more difficult setting. But, uh, you know, like I said, you know, we really want to finish the game so we can bring our listeners the full experience. So typically when I have the option of choosing the easier path or at least a normal path, I'll, I'll take that option over the difficult path. You don't have path. to make excuses for me. I understand. I get it. No, <laughs> <laughs> no but it, I think it was just because it was called casual that I played on expert. Yeah. I was like, if it was called normal, I probably would have switched to normal. But casual just seemed it seemed wrong to me. Yeah, and I understand. I mean, with the the difficulty and stuff, and I know this is a little bit further down the outline, Sean, but I think it's probably a good place to deal with it now, you know? Yeah, I mean, that was the next thing we were going to talk about, so just go for it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think this game's sort of set up to, you know, like you said, casual. Um, That's probably a good description of it, but for me, as being someone that's just so used to, like, either normal or hard or easy, you know, having those three options... I, I didn't look at casual as easy. I looked at that as sort of the standard version of this game. Okay. But, you know, I think this game's made for people that are from all experience ranges as far as RPGs. I think this is a game that would be awesome to, like, give to your kid who might be interested in getting into RPGs. It's cutesy. You know, it's got this really nice uh, fairy tale story that has a really nice message. And it's something I think that they could play without really struggling through. Yeah, so you agree with Krabby that it's a baby game for babies. No, I didn't say that. I'm saying... <laughs> sorry. I don't think those were his exact words. Were they? Sorry. <laughs> those were his exact words. But yeah, he did complain about the ease of the game. And I get that. But when you have a setting that's a, a more difficult setting, and then you also have a second playthrough that actually adds a plus setting to it. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking to Steven. Uh, who was one of our old show hosts, and we just call, we called Stephen the Beast because that guy can really work his way through some games, and he actually had some trouble playing the more difficult setting on the plus side. He was like, "Yeah, man, this game is much more intense if you play it that way." So it may not strictly offer it in the beginning, though it does offer a difficult setting. Once you get to that plus part, you can make the game as hard as you want to make it. And I think the developers did a nice job with that. Yeah, if you're complaining that the game is too easy and you're playing on casual and you could switch to expert at any time, it's there in the menu. Then Yeah, okay. You, I, yeah, that's really that's a weird complaint to me. Switch it to If you switch it to expert, you're telling me it's too easy. Well, maybe the game's too easy for you, but 
Yeah, and just to be clear, I think Crabmaster was playing the game on the harder difficulty and still thought it was too easy. Rich, is that correct? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he ever said like what his difficulty was. I'll have to go back and read through the threads, but you may be right I about that. I think the point that you made, Rich, is right on the money, is that this game... Let's not forget, this game was developed and published by Ubisoft. They're not trying to make some obscure, like, you know, hard, crazy game that's, like, impenetrable. They want to sell a lot of copies of this game and get it out into the world. So <laughs> yeah, I think you made a really good point that this, you know, even though they're trying to go for this indie aesthetic and it started as, like, kind of a download-only wannabe indie title you can bet they're trying to sell a gazillion copies of it if they could so it has to have a a little bit of mass appeal as far as the gameplay goes and it can't be so obtuse and can't be this crazy roguelike you know scary game that nobody wants to play i'll just say that most of the things i had in my notes for the difficulty of the game we've already discussed uh the game in general is pretty easy i played it on the casual mode as well and although like i said i i made sure i'm killed every single thing i loved leveling up constantly and getting really powerful but by the end there wasn't too much of a challenge i mean some of the later bosses things can get really hairy if you don't have control over the fight for sure but between using ignictus and then If you've been conserving and not burning through tons of items, you will have just a gazillion healing items by the end of the game. And uh, I found that I only had party members get KO'd maybe five or six times throughout the whole game. And and like, like I said, even if that happens, you can just swap them out with somebody else. And as we mentioned earlier in the conversation, there's so many party members, you know, as you get to a certain point in the game, you have like eight or nine people to choose from. Um, I wonder if there's a limit, like how many times you can get KO'd if you just go through every single person in your party. Um, Well, speaking from experience, um, (laughs) and please do, (laughs) if, if the two characters you have, uh, slotted as the ones that you're fighting currently fighting if they both get knocked out it is game over okay and you go back to your previous save and the game auto saves so you can't like save before a boss or whatever it generally does but sometimes i had to play through some parts again uh so i'm taking it you guys never even seen a game over screen no Mm-mm. wow yeah no i i hit the game over screen a couple of times there was a couple of fights that were uh a challenge for me like those um I don't know how to describe them, but they were like more kind of stone characters towards the end. They were like really fast on the on the timeline. Yeah. My, like it was impossible to keep up with them, even if I had the little blue guy on them and uh, and uh, lull. They, they would move like pretty quick. So you had to be on your toes with those guys. And uh, they cost me a few game overs. But um, yeah, it was I, I don't know. I found it to be a, a decent challenge myself. Uh, you know, it took me 15 hours to play through the game. Um, and that was enough for me, <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, that's really good to hear, honestly, because I feel like that was the biggest kind of pushback, maybe the biggest controversy on the thread. And we'll, we'll get to, there was a bunch of criticisms of the game that Rich has outlined here that we'll get to. But, uh, one of the prevailing themes is that the game was too easy. And I'm glad to hear that, you know, for you, at least it was a challenge, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't too easy, at least you can say that. And uh, no, I definitely like, like I said, like that, you know, trying to find all the enemies and all that, you know, like 
and gave you that sense of purpose and that because you needed those experience points or else you were going to get creamed. I accidentally ran into a few bosses because the game kind of does that too. And that kind of annoys me where it doesn't give you any sort of warning sometimes yeah. if you if you run into a boss. It just kind of takes you into the cutscene. and it's all, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I was just exploring. I was just looking around and now I'm fighting a <laughs> <Right>. boss. <laughs> I got to get ready. <laughs> yeah. And it's like I was totally unprepared and yeah, I was done. Like even with my best characters and swapping, like, no, they were moving too fast and I'd have to go through the level and, you know, okay, now I know where the boss is and find everybody and get properly, you know, leveled up for uh, for it, uh, the boss. Yeah, it sounds bad for us to say, but uh, Kevin, we're glad you had difficulty with this game. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I find it more rewarding to play a game like that personally. Like, you know, it yeah. depends on the game. You know, like you were saying, you, you fly through uh, Mega Man 2. I cannot fly through Mega Man 2. Uh, that is my, like, I will definitely put that on game on normal. But uh, a game like this, I will definitely at least try to play it on the harder difficulty. If I was dying too much, then, yeah, I would I would bump it down to casual. But I found the difficulty just, just right for me anyways. Yeah, cool. I'm glad to hear that. Now, let me ask uh, this question. If Aurora dies, do you get a game over? Or do both characters on the screen have to die? And can you still replace her? Yeah, you can replace anyone who's KO'd as long as there is a member of your party okay. still standing. If both party members are done, it is game over. Even if you have them, yeah. you know, backed up there somewhere, there's nobody to bring them in, I guess, into the play screen. So that's why it's game over. Okay, interesting to know. I know with some RPGs, if you lose your main character, yeah, you automatically get the game over. So it's good to hear that. Yeah. So one of the other things I wanted to mention. Well, we talked about it a little already. The spells can be a little bit. OP and especially when you combine certain ones but I want to say like we've talked about this before I love this kind of stuff in games I love when we talked about Castlevania Symphony of Night getting whatever Dracula's armor is that the thing that makes you like invincible and kill everything in one shot like yeah. I love like gaming the system and I love being OP and in this game, it's kind of cool because, yeah, it's a little bit obvious. Unstoppable, a spell that makes me not interrupted. Like, that's the biggest challenge of the combat system is not getting interrupted. And you can actually, like, take that away for three turns? Yes, sign me up. You know, so some of this stuff is, like, on the face of it is OP. But I just really love when this is in games. I, I, don't, I don't consider myself, like, a master strategist in any type of game or that... I feel like, oh man, I found out this like secret strat to be really good. But like, I just felt like, man, I'm really comfortable. Like when I get into these grooves and using the right spells that I can kick ass and just run the table. And yeah, I mean, I wanted to mention that because it happens from time to time in games and I love when it happens. Yeah, I think what you're mentioning in Castlevania is the uh, the shield rod. Yeah, the, the good old shield yeah. rod. <laughs> I remembered that somehow. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, this game for maybe people who are mainstream, I hate to use that word, but like if you're used to AAA games, you might be turned off by the aesthetic of the game, maybe playing as a female character. And then on top of that, maybe hearing the game is too easy. And that's like a death sentence for somebody who's not willing to go out on a limb for a game like this. So again, it's good to hear from Kevin that it's it's not quite so easy. And I would also just say, don't ever let that stop you from playing a game. Try it. And if it becomes so easy that it's boring, then just stop playing it. And yes, there's a money investment involved, but just like 
you know, borrow it from somebody. Get it for a dollar on Steam when it's on sale or whatever. You won't know until you try it. So let me step down off my soapbox here and we'll talk about... Uh... <laughs> That's a mighty high soapbox you got there, buddy. I just wanted to add some of those spells like the the wall. I, I We keep calling it the wall spell, but I don't... I don't know if that's the right word for I it. I think it's unstoppable. Unstoppable. That's yeah, that sounds right. Um, you don't get that until like you can you have some potions that could use it, but you don't get that until you get uh, is it Tristis his name? The yeah. Blue. Uh, yeah. And so as an actual spell, so it's a little bit a ways into the game. So I was like struggling with some enemies at that point in the game. So when you when you you get that character in and you see that he has that as a spell that you could just drop down, it was like oh. It was like a relief, you know, like it just felt good, you know, so. Yeah. Nice. Well, you get it through Nora as well. Oh, Unstoppable. Too? I, yeah, you yeah. have to tree it out, but she has it. Yeah. You know what? I was on the lull tree, so I don't even, <laughs> I, I don't think I got to any other tree with her. So I didn't even see that. I don't know yeah. why that sounded funny. I'm just hanging tree. out on the, the lull tree. tree. There, you got your title for your episode. <laughs> <laughs> so. But. Oh, go ahead, oh. Rich, if you had any Oh, no, I was going to say, um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of go back a little bit to, you know, what I was talking about before when we started talking about the characters and everything and how I progressed from character to character and how I had to switch up my strategy. We were talking about Nora and her strategy, and then you lose her, of course, to the plot of the story. And then you sort of run into Anigas, who is one of the characters I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit with the, the tanking ability and... Um, that completely changed the way I was playing the game when I picked up him. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, he is just a sponge, and he has an ability right off the bat called Taunt, which just Taunt, yep. makes the uh, it makes the enemies attack him, and mostly only him. Uh, doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't, doesn't always work perfectly, which is cool. It doesn't have a hundred percent, you know, success rate. But uh, yeah, you can just sick the enemies on him while you do the dirty work of like attacking and doing your spells. And I leaned on him for quite a while after I got him. So yeah, he hits pretty hard too. Oh yeah, definitely. When he's able to hit, but if you've got him taunting, he's going to keep getting interrupted. So yeah, true. Yeah, he was great. Tristis also had that, uh, it was like a better armor spell or something. You put that on him, you put the the debuff with Rubella on him, and you can just leave him there for the entire fight. And uh, yeah, he definitely made some battles a lot easier than they probably should have been. Cool. Well, you guys want to talk about the uh, enemies and bosses real quick? I thought there were a lot of just like regular traditional RPG monsters in here. We had spiders, wolves, reapers, ghosts. But then there there were some cool ones like this like skeleton horse thing which uh, yeah yeah that was freaky <laughs> yeah it was cool there was a lot of like there were freaky is a good word for it there were a lot of like not disturbing but just like kind of off putting character designs for the enemies and also that that flaming bird character not quite as disturbing but uh, pretty cool. Much like Diablo, it's a traditional mix with some more creative stuff put in there. And as far as... Oh, go ahead, Rich. I was going to say just what kind of makes the enemy stand out. I mean, of course, they are kind of standard fare, but the art style is completely what made these enemies have a freshness to them. You know, they, they look so cool. And you never thought, oh, I'm just fighting a spider. You're like, man, damn, that spider is creepy as hell. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
And there's plenty of boss fight through the game. I, I wouldn't say the game is like rotten with boss fights like Secret of Mana was, but there there's enough in there. You fight an ogre, you fight these statue things in the beginning. There's uh, sea monsters, uh, dragons, and uh, the final bird. The final bird. The, the final boss <laughs> is <laughs> is the final bird. It's a big giant dark bird. So yeah, I enjoyed the boss battles. I can't. Yeah, I'm struggling to think of one that like blew me away. I kind of like the ogre actually, and the final mm-hmm. boss. I also like the final boss. Uh, but what did you guys think about the boss battles in general? Yeah, I mean, I thought they were fun. I really like the sprites a lot. They're beautiful. They tend to take bigger stature than what you know the normal enemies took on the screen. Typically, the the screen had a different look to it as opposed to your normal everyday fights on the game. My favorite probably was the Hydra. I guess it was probably like maybe the third boss encounter that you have in the game. And it's where the heads are all different colors. Oh, yeah. And you kind of figure out that each head is a different element. And you have to figure out which head is related. Like there's a fire head. And you have to use the water spells against that. And then there's um, a water. And you have to use like earth against that. I just thought it was really well done. And, you know, I've seen that a thousand times in RPGs. But I really like it, and I thought that the way they approached it in this game was really neat. Yeah, and the way you had to focus on one, like it, it always seemed like the bosses were flack, or what's the word? Uh, There's a couple of other dudes there that you had to fight with, along with the bosses all the time. And some, yeah, the ads. Yeah, and sometimes they would be able to revive them too. So you spend all that time taking one of the uh, ads away and yeah they come back and oh man i just (laughs) i gotta start all over again but um i don't think any of the bosses really stood out to me they kind of felt a little samey in the gameplay like you you know you find the element that will work on the boss the best and then you just kind of stick to that but um they they were fine they were good good times cool well let's round it out with something that uh These confessions, which I have a confession. I didn't write this in the notes until today because I had completely forgotten about these things and I would contend that they're completely forgettable. They are these pages of paper that are floating around in the world and they're added to your menu. And they're basically like the audio logs of this game. They're the collectible of this game. I guess they're supposed to add a little bit of backstory and they are not written in rhyme. So as we were griping about, we wish there was something that's not written in rhyme. There actually is in this game, but man, I tried reading some of them and uh, I can't tell you what they were about. And you could tell they were going for something like it wasn't poetry, but it was poetic kind of thing. Uh, And it just, oh man, so just plain and, and I don't know, some people might love this and I might be like really pissing some people off right now. But uh, <laughs> what about you guys? Uh, you know, did you even read them or did you know, care what they were or try to find any of them? Not. Nah, I ignored them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I didn't seek them out. <laughs> no, no. No, uh, if I ran into them, I would pick them up. I saw them floating around. But uh, it reminded me a little of Murdered Soul Suspect. Um, you remember playing that game and how you would run into certain like collectibles and things like that, or there would be these sort of side stories that you would collect all these items and you would get sort of a cohesive story, but a lot of times it didn't fit with like the overall narrative and you're kind of like, why am I doing this? Yeah, you know, yeah. it just felt like something that was very tacked on to the game and unnecessary. 
And I think there are a few things in this game that are sort of tacked on feeling. And I kind of know what they were going for. They were kind of pulling things from different RPGs that they really liked a lot. But um, yeah, that was one of the things that I could have really done without. Agreed. All right. Well, I mean, that that was really everything I could think of for the gameplay. I think we really hit all the points. we're starting to do actually rich you started it with diablo and i did it on this game is we're going to put tricks and tips in the opening post of each thread um for each game if we can oh, we are going to start doing well, that well you did oh, it okay. and i really liked it so i did it here i'm not i don't think we should agree <laughs> that we have to do it but you know because like i don't like doing achievements so i don't really ever yeah. do them but you like them so you can do them i think yeah sometimes you know if we can and we want to that I felt really cool, like writing. I felt like an insider on the game. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> do you feel like you worked on the Nintendo Power Hotline? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Put your phone number up there next time. <laughs> I don't know why I even felt compelled to put this in the notes, but uh, some of my tips were just to explore a lot, like we said, um, and to just learn the game, learn the systems, learn what Ignictus does, learn how to manipulate the timeline. And lastly, like we already said, fight all the enemies. Don't skip enemies because you want to stay appropriately leveled for the game and especially the end game. So having said all that, Rich... This next topic, I am kicking squarely in your direction because oh. <laughs> <laughs> because you put it in here and uh, no, it's it's a good thing. We we do these playthroughs because we want people to play the games and we all criticize games we play. I had a bunch of complaints about Diablo, which we went over last month. So by no means do we say, hey, you better play this game and you better love it. Like, we want to hear what mm-hmm. you think. So, Rich, go ahead and get into some of the criticisms from the members here. Yeah. Uh, Sean obviously wants me to take the heat from the members. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly um, oh, You're on to me. It's over to me. No, um, I just want to start off by saying, you know, there were some gripes on the thread about this game. And RF Generation is a fantastic community. And I know Krabby had several things that he didn't like about the game. and He and I had some back and forth about them. It was completely good. I mean, no one got heated or anything like that. I never saw anything like that on the thread. There was sort of one smart alecky comment that uh, I took care of. But, you know, other than that, um, it's a very cordial community and site. And so our back and forth was very cordial. And I just want to say I really appreciate his input. And I, I know, Sean, you mentioned that to him. You know, whether you like a game or not, it doesn't matter if you have concerns or things you like or 
or dislike about it, you know, please put it on the threads. We enjoy talking and conversing and, you know, having a great dialogue about these games. And not everyone's going to like everything that we play. And I completely get that. And that's fine. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. And I just want to say, Kelsey, we really appreciate uh, your comments. I know, like, you had posted at one time, you know, I'm sorry to be so negative on this game. It looks like there's been so much positivity and maybe there was something I missed. No, there wasn't anything you missed. You just have an opinion about a game. And if you don't like it, that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. And that's wonderful. And that's what really makes our community work. And we appreciate your honesty. And we really appreciate you putting that in there. I mean, we're so lucky to have the members that we have on the site because, mm-hmm. I mean, Anybody can go on, you know, some bigger, like, go on Giant Bomb forums or NeoGAF and just say, like, this game sucks. Why would you play it? But Crappy wrote, like, four pages of yes. opinion on this game. And after reading it all, I I was like, I can't argue with any of that. Like, he made all good points, yeah. you know? like Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'm so grateful for that. He's writing, like, this essay on the game, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm... We, as hosts, we can't just say, well, well, you didn't like it. You suck. Like, it's not that way at all. It's the opposite of that. I want to see people just be passionate about it. Just play the game. Tell me what you feel about it. and, And we'll talk about it, you know? Yeah, we're happy to hear your opinions, but if they do differ from ours, you just don't get invited on the show. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding in that. Uh, Honestly, we had no idea what Kevin's opinion was on this game before we started the show. And, uh, you know, I think maybe just right before the show, he'd said, oh, I liked it. We're like, oh, cool. You know, (laughs) but even if we had a dissenting opinion, we we would embrace that. And uh, it it makes for great discussion. And so, like Sean said, we, we really appreciate it. And I'm just so happy that we're part of a community that can remain so civil about these things. So as we mentioned, there were some gripes on the thread. One of those involved the constant leveling in the game. And that's something we haven't talked about yet. I think it was sort of mentioned by Sean that in this game, you level very quickly and it's just constant. And so you're having to go back and forth to your menus and do so much adjusting as far as uh, putting talents in your different talent trees. I kind of agree with that complaint a little bit. It is quite tedious, especially when you have like these big parties, you know, when you get to the end of the game, it gets more tedious and tedious as you go throughout. So kind of want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I I just took the tack and I put this on the uh, forum that I just ignored it for a while. And then I went in and dumped all my points into the skill tree like every five levels or something. So it wasn't quite as obnoxious. Oh, there's no way I can do that. Yeah. I'm way too anal to do that. No, I know. Part of me, I'm also like a tinkerer and a min-maxer. I wanted to do that because of the the volume of experience and the amount of members in your party. Somebody's going to level almost every time. So Yeah. uh, It seems like after every fight. Yeah. I had this complaint, too, with Breath of the Wild. I, I really enjoyed that game, but there was a lot of micromanaging in that game of your inventory. And for some reason, it seems like game developers at some point thought that what people really want to do in in games is micromanage, and we really don't. If you could just have have picked one of the branches on the tree, highlighted it, and say, if you got a point, it automatically goes to that, you know? There's a lot of other games out there that do those little things a little better, so you don't have to micromanage, and you can turn them on or off. You know, I I think this game probably would have benefited from something like that. And I think that they 
the reason why they had you level up all the time was to replenish your character's health. Not just Aurora, but your entire party's health and magic would replenish. Because there's nowhere in this game, there's no shop you could go to to buy things or an inn to go and sleep at or anything like that. Every time you level up, that's when you, you know, replenish your health unless you want to start using potions and that. So I think that might be the reason why they went that direction. Cool. All right. And the next gripe on the thread was that you could only have two active party members. I think this is something we maybe discussed earlier, but if anybody wants to take a shot at this, uh, you're definitely welcome to, to add some more to it. Like I said earlier, I enjoyed that. I liked the swapping them in and out and having to think ahead of time. So, but I could see if somebody didn't like it, I could I could understand. Yeah, yeah. And another gripe on the thread included that the look of the main character was different from all the other tunes in your party. I actually didn't notice this as I was playing the game, and maybe you guys did. Actually, Kelsey mentioned on the thread that it was, um, I can't remember how he put it, but it was more uh, polygonal or a little more jagged looking than the other characters. Did you guys notice this? Yeah, no, I actually went looking for it today when I was playing, and like I said on the thread, I could see if I saw something like that and it was annoying to me, like I I can sympathize with him because once you see something like that in a game, you can't unsee it and it just gets under your skin. Thank God I can't even, as I was looking for it, it, I couldn't see it or it wasn't bothering me or whatever. uh, And he was playing it on the Vita, correct? So it's not like he was playing on a a 50 inch screen and could see some intricate detail that we couldn't see. So it's kind of weird. Yeah. And my thought on that is if that was purposeful and that is a part of the game, I mean, we kind of realized that Aurora is not really a part of this world. Uh, She's sort of her own entity. And we think that, you know, maybe we don't know if she's deceased or if she's in some sort of coma, but if so, if she's just a part of that world for this moment, then maybe that's the reason for the difference in it. Mm. I don't know, Kevin, did you notice anything about the look of the main character? No, and even as you guys are talking about it, I'm trying to struggle to figure out what he's talking about. I didn't notice it at all. Yeah, I didn't either. Okay, and moving on to one of the other gripes was about the length of the game. As Kevin, as you mentioned, about 15 hours, which I think somewhere between 12 and 15 is what it took me for this game as well. Did you guys have a problem with the length of the game? No, especially since I needed to finish it today for this podcast. (laughs) Uh, No, I I thought it was no, I thought it was fine. I I, you know I I think there's there's too much game out there sometimes with a lot of these games, you know. Yeah. And Child of Light is like it's like a little slice of pie, you know. It's not it's not an overly expensive game. You're not spending sixty bucks on it, and uh, I think I picked it up for a Steam sale. For around five bucks, and I think I got my five dollars worth. You know, I didn't feel cheaped out at the end of the game or whatever. I thought it was uh, it was fine. All right, cool. Uh, some other things um, that we've already covered were the abundant and unnecessary dialogue, which we got into with the poetry. I guess we didn't kind of cover that because I think what he was saying was that the dialogue really doesn't help to sort of push the story. There's some instances where the screen just kind of pauses and the characters are sort of talking back and forth. And I think this mainly happened when you would pick up a new character. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of a way to get to know, like introspectively, what that character was about or kind of who they were. And I don't know, I didn't really have a problem with it, but I could see how someone would. You guys thoughts on that? 
I think it even how the different, not just the characters, but species and everything in this world interact with each other. Like uh, uh, Aurora's sister there. I don't know why I'm, I'm terrible with names. But when she meets Robert, you know, she's all, she looks, really looks down on him. And I don't know if it's because he's a mouse or whatever, but, you know, she was like a real total snob with him. And I, I don't know, it kind of, kind of like just not only how the character fits into this world, but I think how their race, I guess it is, how... Th- all these races live together in this world and how they interact with each other. So I think that was the purpose of all that stuff. But whether or not you actually needed it or not, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And so the overall story is just sort of, like you said, these differing races. And they're, uh, a portion of each of these races is sort of coming together to defeat this one kind of true evil in the world. Which is kind of nice and, and kind of a nice moral to the story. Mm. You know, if you actually pick up on that. And so, yeah, I thought the dialogue was actually fairly nice and uh, gave the game a little bit more depth. And, and that's just my opinion. We've already mentioned the rhyming dialogue that bothers some people. We talked about the Oculi system. And um, I think Stephen, who was our co-host last month and was our co-host on the show in the past, on the thread, he was basically really loving the game from the beginning. And then toward the end of his play, he started talking about how he felt like it was sort of a similar formula throughout, and so everything felt sort of samey. And, yeah, I mean, I can see that a bit. Um, And I just wanted to sort of get your thoughts on that, Sean. Yeah, it's definitely pretty even-handed through its delivery throughout the whole game. And like we were saying, I think Kevin mentioned in the boss battles, like the boss battles aren't very much like boss battles are just like harder versions of enemies. So I could see how he he would say that with uh, a game as long as it was being 10 to 15 hours. Yeah, you can get to the point, like once you learn how to fly, the game is pretty much the same thing for the rest of the game. And it relies more on the storytelling and the environments and different enemy types to make it interesting. So while I don't necessarily agree with him, I totally understand that criticism. Yeah, and I think he changed his tune a little bit as he went through the second playthrough of the game and amped up the difficulty. I think he kind of got to the point where he realized, you know, there's a little more to this than what I originally thought. If you're, you know, sort of playing it on the the casual mode, as we mentioned, it does sort of get a little bit repetitive in in the battles. Um, The ease of the battles are so that um, it gets a little rinse and repeat. Yeah, did you guys, like, on casual, did the game mix the different types of enemies as well yes okay because i found that yeah, th- like, there's a mix that kind of kept things fresh too because like for instance yeah. if there was one of those dark ghosts in the uh enemy like if they were one of the enemies you wanted to take them out first because they could revive the other characters you know and some were you know uh fire was their weakness other was, uh, uh lightning was their weakness so you could keep finn in but you might have to swap your other so I don't know. I found there was enough variety, even though you were kind of doing the same thing. The gameplay itself kind of gave you enough variety to keep me interested anyways for for 15 hours. Yeah. And to kind of go along with that, like you were saying, I mean, this isn't a random encounter game. So you would run into an enemy. So you would at least know one enemy you would be fighting. Right. But the other two possible enemies could be a variety. And so the fights would differ up in that way a lot of times. All right. Well, I think that's it, Sean. So I'll kick it back to you now. 
All right, let's take a look at the uh, music, sound, and graphics. We've kind of talked about a lot of it already. This is what tends to happen as the discussion funnels down. You find you've already talked about a lot of things <laughs> already. But uh, I put a quote in here. Uh, it's actually not a quote. It's just a cut and paste from Wikipedia. But I found it noteworthy that the developers said that they were inspired for the visual style by Studio uh, Ghibli and Yoshitaka Amano. And if you don't know, Yoshitaka Amano uh, designed, amongst other things, those really cool Final Fantasy box arts that come from Japan and also one of my favorite movies, Vampire Hunter D., so that's kind of interesting because being a fan of both of those things, kind of stepping back and looking at this game, you can kind of see it. But I don't know. I wouldn't say like Child of Light looks like it was done by Yoshitaka Amano, you know. <laughs> so I found that very interesting. They did kind of tip a hat to also Vagrant Story, Final Fantasy VII, and Limbo, which especially Limbo makes a lot of sense. The visual style of this game we talked about is very watercolory. It definitely looks like a storybook kind of thing. Animations can sometimes seem like they're on paper, and the whole world is just very colorful. And uh, I really like the art style. I think we talked about it a lot, but I would love to, to hear more from you guys if you've got anything else to say. Yeah, um, I like the art style too. And uh, Krabby had mentioned that you know the art style wasn't quite original as he first played the game, but he mentioned that he had played the game Song of the Deep. And he kind of went back and realized that, hey, you know, Child of Light came out before that. And so maybe Song of the Deep was inspired by Child of Light and had taken some of that from it, which I, you know, I thought was really cool. And uh, even though the games are different, like gameplay wise, it's definitely something I'd like to check out and see how they compare, you know, visually. But uh, yeah, the art style of the game to me was incredible. Along with the gameplay, I think these were my two favorite things about this game. It was so beautiful, and uh, like you, you mentioned, the watercolors and just how the game was designed, the foregrounds, and I thought the backgrounds were even interesting. You know, the bosses, um, just the normal enemies that you would fight. It was also beautiful. It had this very cool mix of beauty and sublime which is something i talked about in the thread sublime being this sort of idea that things are sort of very jagged looking in parts you know things aren't perfect and uh, beautifully oriented and so to be able to have a game where you can combine those two things i think says a lot about the art style and how just incredible it was yeah, for, for me, my favorite part of the whole art design is how they would throw like the worlds that you were yet to discover, yet to go to, into the background. I thought that was so cool. If you look at the cover, if you actually have a physical copy of Child of Light, if you look at the cover or even the, the thumbnail that they use to sell the game, you see Aurora standing in the foreground. And in the background is all the areas you're going to visit. And that is like in the background of like all the levels you're in. So like if you're in the plains of one area, you'll see like this background of this world where these waterfalls are falling from this high sky and you actually go to that part later on. And it does that constantly. And I thought, I thought that was so cool, especially when you go back and revisit the areas to try to find a flying pig and you see that in the background. <laughs> I, I never could find that flying pig. 
Yeah, I didn't notice that about the game. I'm so happy that you brought that up. That's really cool. I'm going to have to go back and play it again now just to see that. But yeah, that's some excellent uh, art design and sort of forethought there. Yeah, it's, it's cool. By the way, we didn't talk about the, I don't know how the map was on the Vita, but did you have a button that you could press just to go to the map? Yeah, didn't use it a single time. Me either. See, yeah. it, the map, if you go to the map, it, any world you went to, you can teleport to. You can automatically go to. Uh, that would be useful if you wanted to go back and round up some side quests, I would think. Yeah, I was trying to find that flying pig. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah, I didn't notice. I didn't discover that until after I beat the game. And the map in, on the PC version, it's like there's no button to press to automatically go to it, at least if you were using a, a controller like I was. Um, you had to go into the menu and then go there. And I just, I find that annoying when games do that. Just give me a one button to press, take me to the map. That's where I'm going to go 90% of the time when I go into a menu anyways. But yeah, I, th- I thought that was really cool. Those backgrounds. It's nice. about the music which definitely deserves uh, mention and perhaps high praise uh, there were 18 original tracks composed by Beatrice Martin and I'm not good with French but uh, she's apparently a more famous singer from Quebec Kevin I hate to put you on the spot but Corps de Pirate have you ever heard of her no Okay. Quebec, I, I'm in Ontario, and Quebec is like their own world there. Like, they're on their own level. They have their own, you know, television networks, and you could be a huge star in Quebec, and nobody will know you outside of Quebec. They, <laughs> it's just because it's a different language. There's that language barrier there, right? So sometimes people, you know, venture out, like Celine Dion. Everybody loves Celine, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, good luck. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes those kind of guys, they, they you know, they, they come out of Quebec, but I don't know. I've never heard of her at all. Well, whoever she is, she wrote a heck of a soundtrack for this game because I thought the music was incredible. And I was so grateful to be able to play this game with headphones on. Although I did, I just want to say real quick, I had some kind of audio glitch in almost every battle where one of the audio tracks, like one of the instruments would drop out where it shouldn't have. Like I could definitely tell it was something wrong. It was a hiccup in the music and that was very annoying. But other than that, the music in this game is impeccable and it has these dramatic swells at just the right time and it's very contextual if you're about to go into a big moment in the game and it's just very sweeping orchestral all those little buzzwords you can use about good music you know in a good game or good movie like they all apply here so uh what did you guys think of the music yeah i I dug it i love the battle theme 
and yeah, I thought I thought it was great. Nice, Rich. Yeah, I guess it's one of those games where I'll just use my overall comment that I typically use. There was nothing annoying about the music. I thought it was beautiful. It just sit well in the background as I was playing the game. And uh, when it does that and when it kind of fits the game as this music did, I have to say it, it's great. I'm not the kind of person that really pays a lot of attention to the music when I'm playing a game. I get so wrapped up in the combat and the battle that I'm not really listening but um, having to play it at night a lot of times, like in bed, I've got the sound turned down. But uh, yeah, I thought it was great. It's adequate and just really nice. Wonderful. Well, I do believe we're at the point where we can enunciate our final thoughts on the game. There are some just odds and ends here. Uh, the game does offer a new game plus mode, which we've mentioned. Uh, one thing that I think is noteworthy, besides the fact that you get to keep all your spells, you do have to re-earn your party members through the story, but they all are the same level. You know, like you keep leveling up, basically. Yeah. The other thing, too, I noticed is that when you are playing the game normally, there's a lot of unaccessible skills in the skill tree. And uh, when you go to New Game Plus, they all become open and you can see what they are. And I noticed that today and I thought, oh, that's actually really exciting. There's a lot of cool stuff oh, wow. in there. Yeah. So would you want to see a sequel to this game? I definitely know that I would. I would play a game like this again. And uh, I hope they are considering it or that they're going to. But I have no idea, to be honest. Yeah, I would definitely play a sequel of this game or play an original game that is very similar to this, you know, whether it be, you know, with those gameplay elements or the art style. It could have a different name. It can be a completely different RPG and story, but uh, if it's anything like this, I would definitely play it. But uh, as far as the sequel's concerned, yeah, hands down, I would uh, go by that day one for my Vita if they came out with it. Heck yeah. How about you, Kevin? Yeah, I, I would... I think Aurora's story is done, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, that was my concern. Yeah. Um, we didn't even talk about how she becomes a woman, if you will. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know if they could go back to her being a kid and all that. But, um, yeah, if, if they came out with, like, another game in this, like, in this similar universe with a different character and all that, I think I'd, I'd be excited for that, for sure. Yeah. I mean, Michael J. Fox could just pick her up in his DeLorean and... Uh, <laughs> You know, she could be a kid yeah. again. Just go back in time. So the next thought here is a very interesting one. And it is, would you like to see more Western studios tackle JRPG style games? And I think this is a great question. Rich, I, I think you might have put this in the notes because uh, I didn't think this one up. I don't think. But, no, it didn't come from me. Oh, interesting. <laughs> maybe it was me. I wrote these notes a long time ago, so maybe it was me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is something we're seeing more. I mean, the gaming development world is global. Um, and we're seeing a lot of Japanese studios make more Western style games. I mean, most famously, you know, From Studios makes the Souls games, which are more Western RPG-like than they are JRPGs. So here in Child of Light, we have an example of a Western studio. You know, they're French, but they made a game that is very much like a JRPG with turn-based battles. And you don't see that a lot from Western uh, studios, at least in the console space. So uh, the question is, would you want to see more of this? And I think that's, for me, that's, that's not even a question. Like, I always want to see developers being 
more creative and branching out. And I don't think there needs to be rules. I don't think only Japanese companies should make JRPGs. Like this is what makes the world go around this variety and borrowing ideas from each other. And, you know, but it's just noteworthy because it doesn't happen a lot. Uh, so for me, I would definitely like to see it happen a lot. And I would like to see the games be good like this one. Yeah, if it's anything like this game, bring it on. I'll play it. It's uh, quite wonderful. I love the style of this game. You know, I think you can feel how you want to feel about Microsoft and the Xbox One and all that. But when the Xbox One first launched, I think the only turn-based JRPG-ish style of game that you could get on the Xbox One was Child of Light. And I think having a studio like Ubisoft and a game like Child of Light on a console like that that normally wouldn't get the style of game there. And maybe, you know, someone who wouldn't normally play a game like Child of Light, you know, they might get it for the Xbox game of the month or whatever and actually play it. And maybe this would be their gateway to more JRPGs and experiencing those kind of games. I think that's that's an amazing thing. And I think that's that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. If they make a good game, who cares who made it, right? Who cares where where it was made? If it's a good game, it's a good game. Yeah, exactly. I agree. You make a good point, too, because like we were saying, oh, like Child of Light, it borrows elements from Grandia and Chrono Trigger. Like if that becomes a gateway or like Rich said, like a good first starter, quote unquote, JRPG, uh, that's pretty cool. I mean, it doesn't matter who leads you to the well, so to speak, so long as you get there and then... You know, you could say, oh, well, it's it's funny to say, but you could say, oh, Child of Light was my first JRPG. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, for sure. So I have uh, a final question here. And what, I, what I'd like to do is just frame my final thoughts around this question. And then I'll ask you guys to do the same and just wrap up anything else you want to say. This will be this is like the last call for final thoughts. Uh, the. <laughs> The question is, are the unanimous positive reviews of this game accurate? I think on uh, Metacritic, it had like a high in the high 80s, uh, a lot of nines out of 10, a lot of eights out of 10. I would definitely agree with that. I would put it there. And just as my kind of final thoughts on the game, this was a game that was just on my radar for a while. It was a download only title for a while. Then they, they put out this Vita version. I don't have any problem downloading games. You guys know that. But having something to add to my Vita collection was a little bit more attractive. So having finally actually played this game, I got to admit, as usual, for picking a game that I was hosting, I was just thinking, oh, I'll just pick something that's good. And I heard it's easy, so it should be cool. I heard it's really good. Like, <laughs> I didn't have like a super great idea of what this game was actually going to be like, to be honest. I knew it was made by Ubisoft. I knew it was interestingly very much like a JRPG. And that's, you know, what made me want to play it. My experience of the game, looking back on it, was just overwhelmingly positive. I couldn't put the game down most nights. I, I wanted to play it. I wanted to put my headphones in and hear that music. I wanted to get that, you know, dopamine release of having a really good battle and hearing all the bells and whistles and sound effects and just kicking someone's ass. And then, you know, for all the shortcomings of the story and the presentation thereof, I still was satisfied and happy with the whole game as a package, including the story and the gameplay. So if anybody can't tell, this game gets a super strong recommendation from me. And I definitely 
say lay it if you're interested in it so uh rich what do you think you want to take it next or should we kick it to the guest or let the guest finish this out I'll take it. Let's uh, make him wait. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, So I'm sort of like you, Sean, in that this game for me was sort of out on the periphery. It was a game I'd heard about. It was a game I was definitely going to pick up for my Vita collection. And I was really floored at how great this game was. I think there are different types of people who play RPGs. I think there are people who like the difficult, very long, epic RPGs. And if you're that type of gamer, then maybe this might not be the game for you. But if you are that type of gamer and a little open-minded about something that's shorter, something that's on a very bite-sized scale that you can finish in about 15 hours, I think it's a perfect game. If you're someone who's new to RPGs, I think this is the perfect game to start. It's definitely the game that I'm going to give to my kids and say, here, play this game. Let me know how you like it and see if it's a genre that they're interested in. For me, this game gets two big thumbs up. And the categories, again, I mentioned that I liked the most were the gameplay and the visual graphics of this game. And everything else, the music, you know, the story, I mean, those just fit perfectly in with those two things. And um, I would recommend this game to, you know, anyone. Some people might not appreciate it, but uh, this is the type of game that I would say, if you haven't played Child of Light, you need to play Child of Light. Perfect. So let's uh, kick it over to Kevin, our guest, Buried on Mars. Can you please close us out with your thoughts on uh, Child of Light? Well, thank you for the opportunity to close out after those two speeches. I don't know how I'm going to top that, but I'll try to match it at least. Um You know, there's been a lot of, especially with Breath of the Wild coming out, there's been a lot of questions on whether or not a game should deserve a 10 out of 10 or, you know, is there such thing as a perfect game? And I think what we forget to look at is if a game actually just succeeds at what it sets out to do. And yes, you can Mm -hmm. take Child of Light and you can compare it to, you know, big $60 triple-A titles and say, well, it doesn't really do this as well as this game and it doesn't really do this as well as this game. But for a game that you can pick up, I think regular price, it's $15. You can get it on sale all the time for around 10 bucks to download. It does the job. It entertains you for 15 hours. It's well done. It looks good. It sounds good. The gameplay's there. Maybe you'll like the story. The story wasn't for me, but it might be there for you. And um, yeah, I mean, it does what it sets out to do. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I probably would play it again at some point. I'm going to get a hankering to play it in like a couple of years from now. (laughs) Awesome. Well, that's awesome. Very well put. So we're going to give you a chance to plug all of your products and tell people where they can find you. But first, Rich is going to tell us about next month's game. All right. Maze Playthrough for 2017 is Siberia. This game is available on many, many different systems. It's a basically kind of a point-and-click PC game, but it's also available on Xbox, PlayStation 3, and several other systems. I know that there is a planned release Uh, at the end of this month in April for Siberia 3, which a lot of people are excited about. For me, this was a game that I saw sitting on the shelf, and I was like, 
this cover art looks really interesting. I've always been interested in that steampunk aesthetic. And so I turned it over, read the story. The game is only, you know, maybe five bucks, like sold. I'll put it in my collection and hopefully I can get to playing it later. And so Sean and I kind of been kicking back games back and forth for a while. And I've brought up Siberia quite a few times and, um, we finally decided that, hey, this was a game we want to play. Basically, the story of Siberia is you play as a young American lawyer who's been sent to a small French village to finalize the takeover of this toy factory. And once you're there, you're informed that the old lady who owned the factory has died and that you got to seek out her next to kin and take this train to this fantastical land of Siberia to find her brother who lives there. Like I said, it's got a very cool steampunk aesthetic, and it also has a very powerful introspective story that a lot of gamers have said it sort of changed the way they feel about gaming. And so for that reason, especially, I made this pick, and I hope that everyone's excited as I am about playing this game. And Kevin, hope you definitely join us next month on the forums. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this game. Yeah, I definitely want to try to make some time for it. It was the Origin, which is EA's platform on the PC. It's like their version of Steam. And uh, they had it uh, free. It was their game of the wow. on the house, I think, last month. And this month, it's Siberia 2. So if you play Siberia, you can grab Siberia 2. If, and you enjoyed it, you can grab Siberia 2 right now for free. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I have a copy of it. I actually, I think I have it on the Xbox as well, too. Uh, and it's one of the few games my wife has played that I haven't played. So, oh, wow. Yeah, I kind of, I, I can't let her one-up me on that. I definitely uh, <laughs> need to even the score there. So I'm hoping I can make so, make enough time for it, yeah. You should definitely have her come onto the site and uh, post her thoughts on the game. I'd like to hear those. Yeah, I'll let her know that you're playing. And uh, yeah, she, she just might do that. Awesome. Well, thank you guys, Rich and Kevin, for this discussion. Uh, I think we really hashed it out for Child of Light and everything else. So, Kevin, where can people find you on the internet and all the amazing things that you do? Well, all of my amazing things uh, <laughs> <laughs> are not on the internet. But the rest, <laughs> there's still some good stuff. <laughs> um you can find me uh, uh, buried on Mars, all one word uh, on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel. I review video games. I used to do a whole bunch of other stuff there, but right now I'm just trying to focus on uh, reviewing uh, games. And I got that Zelda-like series that we talked about earlier, and I'm working on my next game already. I just posted a video yesterday, and uh, I'm hoping to have at least trying to get a video out once a month, which might not sound like a lot, but it's a lot, especially when you got a podcast <laughs> yeah. uh, like Retro Fandango to do. Um, Retro Fandango is a podcast I do with my with my friend Richard. Uh, he lives in Japan. I'm here in Canada, and the comedy ensues from there. We just have a good time. We're kind of we're like a community driven podcast. A lot of Cartridge Club members are are in there, but you know we do have some RF Generation people listening in that too, and uh, we welcome everybody from everywhere. Uh, and, you know, we just talk about, uh, you know, video games and uh, just everything that we've been doing. And um, our very next episode, uh, we're going to be focusing on uh, Police Academy. We're going to be doing the first uh, four Police Academy movies and going into depth. It's kind of cool because uh, those first four movies were all shot here in Toronto. 
And uh, we're actually going to have somebody on who knows a little bit about those uh, locations where uh, Police Academy was shot. And it's kind of fun actually watching those movies and seeing a lot of locations that are still around after 30 years now. That's how old those movies are. Wow. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we come out with an episode about once every, or sorry, twice every month. And uh, yeah, that's enough to keep me busy doing a video, two podcasts. It's good times. Uh, but yeah, go follow me at buried underscore on underscore Mars on uh, Twitter. Everything's on there. I also have uh, Retro Fandango is on Twitter as well. Retro underscore Fandango. Everyone steals my my name, so I got to use the underscores. I apologize. Yeah, that's pretty much it. YouTube, Twitter, and then you can find all the other stuff from there. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show and talking with us, and we hope that maybe someday we can have you on again. This has been really a really nice conversation. Yeah. Thanks guys so much for having me on. I look forward to being on uh, again. I, uh, you know, I listen to the show, you know, every month that you guys post it. A lot of times I, I didn't play the game, so I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about there, but I do love that uh, banter. Like I was telling uh, Rich uh, before we started recording, uh, I do love the banter that you guys have at the beginning of every show. So it's good times. that will do it for another episode thanks again for listening and an extra special thanks to everyone who participated in the playthrough and joined us on the forum at rf generation we also thank buried on mars for joining the show this month be sure to check out retro fandango podcast as well as buried on mars on youtube Next month, we'll step into the shoes of Kate Walker as we explore Europe and Russia in the point-and-click adventure Siberia, available on many platforms, including the PC and original Xbox. Thank you, as always, for listening, and we'll see you next time on the RF Generation Playcast.